Perfection wears red and black tonight. 15-0. The dogs have done it and won a second consecutive national title. And you can't be any more impressive than the way they did it tonight. 65 to 7. Iron Brains, a podcast with absolutely nothing to add to this. Yo ass is prepared for this shit for fucking 365 days. I think about them fuckers in that locker room. Think about getting our opportunity. All the shit you went through this week to get ready for this game, now is when you pay the fucking price. You go out there with energy, enthusiasm. Hey, guys, ain't nobody in this room should be cautious. Ain't nobody in this room should be nervous about shit. Go out here and fuck their ass up. Don't think about scoreboard. Oh, yeah. Don't think about shit. You think about knocking the shit out of them. Did you hear what Box said on Monday? When I sat in that fucking meeting, I wanted to go fucking play right then. Tore your shit up out here. Two years ago, fucked your shit up. Goddamn pride and joy. Tell me you fuck these guys up. You go play the right way. You play the right way. You knock their ass off. You stay off the fucking ground. You tackle the fucking man with a ball. The shit's easy. Look at the right shit. Punish their ass on offense and kick their ass on special teams, guys. It's about who the fuck we are. I believe in you. Let's go. Nothing to add, that is, besides this. Sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? I'm pretty good. Lori's pretty good. Tonight is Tuesday, January the 10th, 2023. We're here on a Tuesday, Abe, because last night, the University of Georgia Bulldogs were playing... In the national title game. Probably could have recorded after all. For the second straight <laughs> year. And the Bulldogs won. The final score, Abe, a victory margin of 58 points. The largest winning margin in bowl history. Not playoff national right. championship right. game history. Not not since the BCS era right. or anything along those lines. But... Every year, they play these meaningless bowl games between wildly mismatched teams for as long as college football has been a thing. And the Georgia Bulldogs beat TCU 65-7 to to exceed the record for the largest victory margin in the history of the sport, which is just incredible. Right. It, it's crazy that in the lead up to this to this game, one of the things that we're talking about is how TCU, the last time they won was 1938, and it's such a long time ago, and they could win, and it would be the first time winning in blah, blah, many years. And now they have a distinction about, you know, this has never happened before, or it hasn't happened in a long time, and it's on the wrong side of it, which is just an embarrassing showing. I mean, that was just Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. And also... It's less heartbreaking when it's this way. Right. Yeah, yeah. They didn't lose by one. It's not a heartbreak. It's, well, I guess 
The problem is that TCU is probably always going to lose, and they walked out onto the field as though they knew they were going to lose. And right. so what they were hoping for was one of those moral victories where you show that you belong with the big boys and maybe you right. keep it within a couple of scores where you have a chance to at least make it interesting late. They do not. And instead, they were just abjectly humiliated on the field of play for 60 minutes uh, to the point where I was honestly a little surprised that they came back out for the second half. (laughs) (laughs) It would not have surprised me at all if they'd just gotten on the bus and headed back to the hotel. (laughs) You know, there were um, some reports. I mean, this is a, this uh, venue is what? $5 billion that it costs to build this. Like the, both the football teams play there. SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. And it looks like a million bucks just like looking at Very it, right? Very pretty. And then during the game, you know, there's rain in L.A., right? They say that, that didn't happen too often, but uh, apparently it does uh, or happens enough. Uh, it rains. And Inside. apparently this building is designed in such a way that it's like open on the side. So like yeah. with the, some, some wind and rain, there were some footage I saw online yesterday because the game was not exciting i was just moved on to other things uh where uh people were injured from slip and falls like at the concessions because oh right, like because no they, like they didn't previously consider that this area of the concourse was ever going to be uh, affected by the bad weather but it was and apparently it's like untreated for such purposes concrete and people were slipping and falling right. all over the place right and hurting themselves i also read and i don't know if this is true but apparently the rain it was like torrential downpour just on the tcu side of the stadium no like kidding. where the where they were was, was getting the worst the of the rain just because of the way that the wind was blowing it in uh, did that uh, tcu forget to pray beforehand what, what's going on why are the uh no god those... just likes georgia better okay. abe <laughs> maybe that's obviously Poor this TCU. Was, if, if, uh, by the way, if any TCU fan happened to slip and fall, I mean, like, I can't imagine w- what else could go wrong in your weekend right, you paid, trip. Like, you paid fifteen hundred dollars for your two <laughs> tickets to sit in the third section up. Traveled to Los Angeles. You spent fifty five hundred dollars on on those late plane tickets and the hotel and the and the tickets, and then right. you also. Uh, <laughs> Broke your right hip going down hard trying to get a beer. A fucking $21 import, by the way. Was, was There's awesome. no tailgating there. There's no tailgating. So you had to go Which, into the like, stadium. What does that even mean, by the way? Like, you're not yeah. allowed to stand by your car? Yeah. That seems like hard like to enforce. I don't like the no tailgating. That sounds very racist. Yeah, this is this is California. What are we talking about? You're allowed to... I mean, the homeless, they, they do everything ra- out of the doors thing. there in California. It's what a racist doing? thing. If you're what's black, is, you're not allowed to do it. If you're white, magically, it's okay. Right. What's, what's weird is... Uh, I mean, they maybe this is just trying to minimize it, but they're saying that it, it was this college football playoff people's doing. Like, the stadium for football NFL games... You can drink and do tailgates and all that stuff. Basically, it was like some sort of thing from racist. the college what football. I'm not sure what race Which has to do with this mix situation. It sense. Is. What is there to say about that game besides... Uh, I'm sorry, Stetson Bennett, for saying all those mean things about you, is what there is to say about that game, Stetson Bob. Stetson Bennett was spectacular. He was basically perfect, and I have no, no problems with the way that he played in that game. That was probably... In fact, I won't even say probably. That was the best game of Stetson Bennett's career at the University of Georgia. He was 
exactly on point and he made the right decisions, whereas before he had made a lot of bad decisions. Instead, he was fantastic. And there's just there's nothing negative or or retreating to say about Stetson Bennett. I wish I had the the relationship I have with Stetson Bennett with other quarterbacks. Because usually I just hate the quarterback and they get worse. But like I hate Stetson Bennett and then he just constantly gets better. It's weird. It's just like he's <laughs> constantly to hate about him. Yeah. <laughs> He's so great. It would be so easy to hate this guy if he played for Auburn. No. Or if he, yes. play, no. Or if he played because, for Tech. No. It would be so I, easy. I disagree because I felt the same way about Johnny Manziel. Like, Johnny Manziel's weird, cocky little guy thing just worked. And it's the same kind of thing with Stetson Bennett. And I didn't hate it when it was Johnny Manziel, and I wouldn't hate it if he was with another school. Johnny Manziel was a way better quarterback. But than I don't. Stetson I don't Bennett. care. Yeah. <laughs> right. Did he win two titles? No, he certainly oh. did not. That that yeah, that's it's crazy. Literally, only won two titles up until this two two year uh, stretch here. We've only won twice before, uh, and already. And Stetson, I think what uh, Bryce Young uh, has none, right? I don't think he's won any at Alabama. Much better no. quarterback. There's so many better quarterbacks who have won nothing, and this guy, this guy too. It's great. It is. It's great. So and I, great. I, I think it would be hilarious if he plays in the NFL because I, I have to laugh at something here. I have to like. I, I wonder if part of this is just my psychology, which is that I feel really uncomfortable rooting for this team that just absolutely wiped the floor with a team that, like, granted, obviously, there's a great disparity in talent yes. uh, between, but, but the, what, what we did to them was humiliating. And it was the sort of thing, as my dad said, he, you know, Pops came over to watch the game with us. And as he's getting up to go, he's like, oh, so that's what it feels like to be Alabama. Yeah. There was something in, entirely inevitable about it, even though I was like incredibly nervous, even at like 24 to 7. So the dogs get it to 24 to 7 after a quick start. You get it 10 nothing because they, they score the first touchdown after getting a stop because they deferred the opening kickoff. It's a good way to work backwards from an arbitrary point when you're doing highlight packages on a podcast. Right. Is you pick an arbitrary point, you asshole, and then you work backwards to the start of the game. So that's what I just did there. Uh, <laughs> dogs defer. They get a stop, a, a quick three and out. I think it was three quick passes, and none of them were on point. Uh, yeah. Duggan was bad. Like, there's no getting around it. I've watched uh, probably four or five TCU games this year, and he looked better in every other version of him that I saw this year. And I Bro was... needs to get some elbow guards or whatever. I've He's seen very, three games, three TCU games, three Max Duggan elbow injuries. Yeah, very quickly he gets the he he skins the he should get elbows. They, they, well, they yeah. play on that like carpet. Like they should all be yeah. wearing like tape or something on the elbows yeah, to but prevent like, that. But anyway, Duggan has looked good before. He looked terrible last night. The only good pass he hits is that totally busted coverage where I don't know if a Georgia guy fell down or they just both ran in the wrong direction. But it was like a 40-yard or something passing play almost into in, into the red zone, almost a touchdown. Uh, it should have been a touchdown, but for the fact that it was a terrible throw. So yeah. even yeah. even on the his only real meaningful connection of the night, the only time that they made it past the 40-yard line 
and it seemed like they barely made it past midfield. I don't think it's appropriate for you to be shitting on Max Duggan. I'm right not now. shitting on him. I'm just saying, like, where we have seen Georgia get in trouble this year has been when good quarterbacks just hit their throws. Yeah. And there were half a dozen opportunities last night where players were either a step or three steps open, and he just could not hit them when it counted. And that throw that he actually completed downfield is an example of that where it's just this big, ugly floater. And if the guy wasn't literally 30 yards open, then it would have been a pick or it would have been knocked down. You said you, you've watched uh, a handful of their games, TCU. Uh, this is the second game that I've watched. You know, watched the very entertaining but sloppy game against Michigan and then the, the national championship game. And... That game in, against Michigan, plus what I've heard from this Duggan guy uh, about him, rather, is that he's basically like an NFL caliber player, right? And so, like, it was weird seeing him in that blown assignment or whatever happened on, on our defense where there was, like, a wide-open guy, hit him in stride, that's a touchdown, but it's, like, underthrown. Is that some? I, I don't know. It, he didn't look at against Georgia. He certainly didn't look at against us, right? And But you can say the same thing about a lot of guys that we've played this year. Like Will Levis, who's going to be a top five se seemingly pick coming out of Kentucky this year. Hendon Hooker. Uh, Hendon Hooker. Well, Hooker had a yeah halfway decent game until he yeah. got hurt. But like Levis, at the end of that game that we played against Kentucky, put together a pretty nice looking drive and really kind of scared the pants off us there at the end. But at any time you talk about these guys and then compare them to Stett and you start looking at the stats, I mean, by the numbers, Stetson is every bit as good or better yeah. than the best quarterbacks in college football just by the numbers. Like, he had right. a terrific year this year. But all and of the numbers are colored by, like, the surrounding cast, right? Like, is it – I mean – So I, I agree it, with you. I 100% agree with you that surrounded by the uh, – By the three-star wide receiver? Incredible that was talent. Our leading wide receiver? Right. That, that's yeah. what I'm getting at, too, is then you look at in this two year run, there's no Nick Chubb. No, there's no cast? Sony Michelle. There's no Todd Gurley. Kenny McIntosh is a nice back, but he's not those other guys. He's not the he's not a no Sean Moreno. He's, and all the best wide receivers were injured most of most of his most of Stetson's career. The number right. one was out. George Pickens, A.D. Mitchell, Arian Smith, like. We've had the not quite great receivers be the go-to guys all right. year and all last year. Right. And our, our uh, margin of victory against top 25 opponents this year, I think, was best in the nation or maybe second best, uh, something like that. I mean, it would be. You would Obviously, we went undefeated. But um, it's like 25 points or 28 points or something crazy like that. Uh, like we are, it wasn't just defense. Like our offense was terrific yes. this year. Boy, that and, Brock Bowers, that's his last game. Boy. Right. What yeah. was frustrating is how many missed opportunities there were and easy missed opportunities. And this is the one time this year where, what did we score? Nine times out of 11 possessions or something like that? It's something like that, yeah. It was, we had, they had basically one stop where they forced us to punt and they, so two stops also where they forced us to, to kick a field goal. Like it was the offense finally put it all together where it didn't feel like you get to the end of the game and you're like, man, if Stetson had actually been good today, we would have scored 70. And it's like, well, wow. <laughs> if they just, and then today it's like, or last night, it's like, if they just left Stetson and the first team in today, we might've scored 90. Like there's the, the sky was absolutely the limit last night. And it was just a question of how long Kirby was going to continue stomping on their faces. 
would you uh, uh speaking of which uh just if you're the head coach of the opposition would you rather you're getting your ass kicked right very embarrassingly this whole thing is embarrassing right there's no upside but would you rather the other coach uh give you some respect and like keep the starters in on the field the whole game like to show you some sort of like all right i'm not gonna embarrass you by pulling my starters like would i'd you... rather that if it's 45 to 7 yeah and you're and you're getting a stop every third time right it, then yes you would rather that but the way that that game was going and like it was obvious that there was just not going they were not going to be able to stop whatever it was we wanted to do. And that proved out by the fact that the second team and the third team comes in and there's a running back just gouging them, right. who I've never heard of, for 15 and 20 yards at a time. Branson Robinson? Yeah. I've heard of him. Oh, you read the bullshit recruiting nonsense that I no, stay away from. No, I don't. From. I don't read recruiting stuff. I draw the line at recruiting stuff. <laughs> you hear that, Google? I don't want to hear about recruiting stuff. It was a wonderful moment for Stetson. And again, my eyes, they have not lied to me. He's not a, he's like, and and perhaps I have the wrong, I have the sort of, maybe I have, I just have the wrong glasses on or something because I want something out of a quarterback that he could never provide. But he was actually a really terrific college quarterback these last two years. And there's no getting around it. 29 touchdowns and seven picks last year, 27 touchdowns and seven uh, picks this year. He had, he ran for, he ran for double digit uh, touchdowns on top of that. I think both years, definitely this year, he completed 65% of his throws last year, 68% of his throws this year, 4,100 yards. He threw for 4,127 yards in 15 games. It's as good a year as you can hope to have out of a quarterback at Georgia. Right. And it, it's just amazing that I was complaining about it all year. I wasn't imagining all of the missed opportunities, and I don't think it was just, like, me whining about stuff that he wasn't good. Like, he he was occasionally he, – he could put together good stretches, but at the same time, there was – we left a lot of points on the field this year. And, like, having a quarterback who's a legitimate five-star talent uh, moving forward, like, the, the sky's the limit if Munkin sticks around, it seems right. to me. Right, yeah. And, and, and I mean – who cares about the regular season because it's all playoffs and whatever, but like very easy schedule next year. So it's basically like another, I mean, it's ridiculous to think of a third title, but like, it's not like this team couldn't do it and they'll get better at quarterback or that's the idea. Like they're not going to get worse at quarterback, right? right? Like, <laughs> I mean, you, presumably they're not going to get worse at quarterback. And it's, but maybe, you know, this, uh, Stetson fella had some moxie. You can't. You don't see that on. Oh, the, he on definitely the had yeah. that. Like, there's no getting around that, right? And he he stepped up when it mattered in the last two years with a you know a couple of obvious except or one obvious exception, which is the title game against Alabama last year when we just got dump trucked. Uh, it is interesting. I, I played that clip of Kirby at the top of the show in the locker room, and those are the sorts of leaks that happen not accidentally. I, right. I generally think like this is something that he's perfectly fine with getting out into the wider world. Plenty of obscenity in there, which is going to upset some parents. But parents know what the deal is inside right. locker rooms, right? Like, right. It's it's not that big of a deal. And I don't know how you can listen to that and not want to run through a fucking brick wall for that guy, right? Right. And like, what what's interesting is like that's. I, I'm sure that he's also trying to get them motivated for the Kentucky game, for the Kent State game, for the Missouri game. And it's not 
but it, it can't possibly be to that level, right? Right. Like you can't you can't do that every week and expect to get the same level of result from the guys in the room. Eventually, it's just a, a boy who cried wolf kind of situation. It loses uh, you you thunder and lightning too much, and people cease to get under the bed, as Mark Twain said, and. Uh, it's it's that sort of thing. So I assume that he saves that for these big moments, right? And it 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 fucking worked. They came out ready to just absolutely take heads off bodies, and it, and that's what they did. Right. There there are so many stupid uh, like in, in the run up to the game. There was like, oh, Stetson got a particular haircut, and and that is a good omen because right. every time he gets no, a no, haircut, no, 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 it's not they... a good omen. It's just that it's just he a bad has haircut. played his best games with yes. a fresh haircut. Right. Yeah. Oregon, Tennessee, in this. Yeah. One. Right. I don't think it's a superstitious thing. I think it's just like nice, clean, nice and clean. Right. Yeah, he feels better about himself, and he plays better. He should not feel better about himself with that haircut. So I hated Tim Tebow, right? I, I despised Tim Tebow from 2006 to 2009 or whatever that was. And I was looking at his stats as a college quarterback, surprisingly similar to Stetson Bennett. And it's like there's a, cert, there's a certain ceiling that a lot of these guys hit. And, and like arguably Stetson Bennett had a better career than – almost any other college quarterback that you can yeah. name in terms of results right like there's no and it's silly because you can't credit the quarterback with yeah. everything like it, right. it, it, it's not how this sport works but at the same time if the quarterback doesn't go right then the team doesn't go right and it's just that's just sort of what it is but there's also this weird disconnect between NFL quarterbacking and college quarterbacking Ryan Tannehill is one of my favorite examples of this which is Ryan Tannehill was such a bum at Texas A&M that he didn't even become the quarterback of his own team until his junior year. He was right. recruited as a quarterback, but then was a wide receiver on that team as a freshman and a sophomore, and then was a perfectly adequate quarterback at Texas A&M for a very mediocre team, a team right. that would like they 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 lost four games one year and like six games another year that he was their quarterback. And he goes on to be drafted in the top of the near the top of the first round of the NFL draft the year that he comes out and has had a lengthy, successful, though not great professional career. Right. A guy who's, who's just sort of fine in college turns out to be a, an incredibly reliable um, starter. Tom Brady in the National Football League. But like uh, somebody like Justin Herbert. Another great example, a guy who you expect to be in the MVP conversation for the Chargers every yeah. year for the next yeah. five, six, seven years, assuming that he continues to progress, was a very average quarterback at Oregon for, for a few years. Mahomes, another one. like it, He was fun, and they won a bunch of games uh, when he was in college, but he wasn't like beating the pants off of everybody in college either. And he's right. going to be like the best quarterback in the NFL for the next decade. Right. It's just an entirely different thing. And so uh, you have your, your Ryan Tannehills and your Justin Herberts who find success at the NFL. And then you have your Tim Tebows and your Stetson Bennett's who are the best at what they do and win multiple championships and can't make it work in the NFL. And part of it is just a size thing. Stetson is five foot 11, maybe. He's uh, listed at 186 pounds, maybe. And like, how many times can you have a and three? And he's all grown up. Right. He's 25. He's 25. He's not going to put on very much weight. How many times can a 320 pound defensive lineman land on you in the NFL before you're just fucking done? At the same time, he's gotten hit hard and never yeah. gotten hurt. Right. 
Yeah. Maybe not like have to fall. He's had little like, ooh, my shoulder's bothering me, but he's he has slammed taken, his yeah, body around he's, he's as much hits. as anyone. He's taken hits like a football player. There haven't been a lot of like Stetson getting pancaked though. Like you, you because right. his body simply yeah. wouldn't withstand it. I mean, he's a great athlete. He's very fast. He's he's quick. He was able to run in two touchdowns last night from ten yards out and also from like fifteen or twenty yards out. Without being touched, right? There, there's nobody even breathing on him practically, and you know, good for him. I just, I will be shocked if he turns, if he, he finds a way to make it work at the next level. What well, would be? What's finding a way to make it work at the next level? Because like, right. I want to be a backup quarterback. I do wonder, like, what is like his best case scenario? Is it like, and I know it's a height thing, but whatever. Uh, is his, is his best case scenario like a Doug Flutie kind of thing? Like he didn't. Didn't move like him, but like somebody where he'll be discounted because of his size. Like, okay, you're not tall enough. Drew your Brees arm isn't short. Your arm isn't strong enough to uh, compensate, you know, overcompensate uh, for the other failures, right? And so it's likely he's going to be like a very late draft pick or undrafted, right? Basically like six, seven or undrafted. Some somewhere along the. I mean, I don't know. I'm not like some scout person uh, for the NFL, but like. That's what it sounds like. He's not going to be in the t- first round or early on, right? Yeah. So right. No. very he's, late. He's a or back undrafted. of the draft. We're going to take a flyer on you, and maybe you can help out in our quarterback room. And who knows what you can do for us? Sort of pick. Like he's not a guy who you build a franchise around, right? Uh, and and the, the thing is, that's true. And also, how many opportunities will he will he actually get as the backup? Like they'll get some Andy Dalton type, you know, that's just like a journeyman who's been around, who's got experience and they're never going to start him like he should follow the Doug Flutie model like if he doesn't catch on with the NFL team go to the CFL and live like right. a king I mean you know? he's done that before right he leaves Georgia after right. walking on he leaves Georgia goes wins a title as a Juco player and then it was going to sign with some like UMass or something before Kirby offers him a scholarship to come back right. and even that and full credit to Kirby for being willing to acknowledge out loud that the main person that the main group of people that Stetson Bennett proved wrong was the coaching staff at the University of Georgia. They did not want him to be the starter for this team. When JT Daniels goes down, they thought, okay, well, Carson Beck's going to get the job now because Carson yeah. Beck is the former five star recruit who we expect to build a program around for a few years. And instead, Stetson comes back and has like a killer week in practice, and they had no choice but to give him the starting job. And like, Again, all through 2021, I was, along with most other Georgia fans that I know, certainly, like, where the fuck is JT Daniels? Right. Put McPoyle in the goddamn game. Right. What are you talking about, an oblique? There's Stetson Bennett out there. What are we doing? Right. Yeah, we're winning, winning. games. But winning this, is what we're doing. This can't maintain. This right. is completely unsustainable. Right. And now he's won two fucking <laughs> yeah. titles, Abe. It's so great. I want to tell Stetson Bennett that he can't do stuff just to see what he can do. Right. <laughs> just like to see. You can't be a doctor. You don't right. have what it takes to cure fucking cancer. It was no a, one's done that. You, th- football player? Like, go prove me wrong, dude. How tall is Drew Brees? 5'11", 6 foot, something yeah, like Drew that? Brees yeah, six one. in that neighborhood. I'm looking at Drew Brees' uh, college stats at Purdue. Now, granted, it was a different era. But he was only completing roughly 60% of his throws. He was throwing for 3,900 and 3,600 yards in his uh, junior and senior year, averaging seven yards a throw as opposed to Stetson's like nine or 10. 
and with lower quarterback ratings and, and with more interceptions. Like, it was a different time. It's a whole right. different game. But, you now. know, and, that- and Monken, Monken runs a professional offense. Like, it's it's a, a wonderful thing to see. And, and every once in a while, I would I would lose my shit at Todd Monken when, in reality, it was probably just him recognizing the limits of the talent that he had on the field. And, it, and, it, and like, no limits uh, yesterday because they, they, they un- unleashed everything that we had. Right. Bowers was... He said that they, there were plays that they didn't end up calling. No, I'm sure there were. They didn't have to. Yeah, they don't have to. You know, with Drew... It's a good example that you raised with uh, Drew Brees. And I'm thinking now there were other... You know, that, that height thing isn't as big of a thing as it used to be. Like, no. what was the... California kid uh, Josh Rosen, he wasn't very tall either. Like there are a lot of quarterbacks who There's weren't. Lots of short ones. Yeah. So same so then... with running backs. Running backs are little now right. too. No. Yeah, but who has success in the NFL? Generally what? speaking, it's not Doug Flutie. It's not uh, Drew Brees. It's guys who are six four, six five, two thirty. No, that's true. That's true. But what I'm saying is, what I'm not thinking like, what is it about Stetson Bennett that? Uh, lowers his stock because Drew Brees had a first round grade. Uh, Josh Rosen had a first round grade, right? Like basically is it, did he have a very weak arm or something? It's, like what is this? very skinny. Yeah. He's very these small. Short guys are not as like Kyler Murray. As Kyler Murray is. is not, is not much taller than Stetson Bennett, but he's built. No, Drew but, Brees, but is, Drew Brees is, is built stockier. He's That's made true. of he's sturdier stuff than, no, but, than okay. Stetson is, Bennett is. Is that the extent of it? Is like, cause I yes. don't know. It, it is Stetson Bennett like? Is he? He looks like he can make all the throws to me. Like he he can throw pretty far, right? Not like man that that throw Mike down Vick the middle to but... Bow, that down the middle throw to Bowers, where when you watch the highlight, I imagine in his head it's as slowed down as it looks when you watch it in slow motion. Not that I've ever been an elite athlete or any sort of athlete mm-hmm. really, but I know what it feels like to be in the fucking zone, right? And it's like everything slows down and everything starts making sense and it and and the and the whole world falls into place. I never felt it on the basketball court, never felt it on the baseball field by by no means is this an athletic thing that I'm saying. But I've I've read about it and I know what it feels like to be in that zone in other contexts. And when you watch the highlight of Bowers coming flying across the middle of the field and he's got a defender on his hip, he's got another defender that he's running sort of towards about five yards in front of him, and there's somebody in the middle of the field just standing there waiting for this throw to happen. And Stetson hits him. He he sort of drops his arm slightly sideways as this guy is running behind him to make the play so that at the last possible moment, the ball comes shooting out sidearm on a fucking leg laser beam 30 yards down the field and it goes in the only spot where only Bowers could make the play on it. It's just an absolute thing of beauty. As good a throw as Stetson Bennett has ever made. And an example of the sorts of throws that you have to make every week in the NFL. And yeah, like it sold me last night watching it. I was like, he can fucking do anything. Are you kidding me? What, what, <laughs> last what's night wrong was with me? The, was it, what's the name of that movie with the stoned people? Where it's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you're you, cool. you're cool. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Hi, something. Whatever. That game was that for Stetson Bennett. Like, yeah. there were still doubters. There's one in this room. Right. There aren't any anymore. I mean, I still have doubts. He's not an NFL yeah, but quarterback. You, everyone's going to have doubts with every. There was doubts yeah. with Matt Stafford. Like, there's always, you never know. Right, but that was what was frustrating about Matt Stafford is that as 
sort of a successful, relatively speaking, career he had at Georgia, you knew he was going to go to the NFL and produce. And he did. 4,000-yard season after 4,000-yard season. Yeah, but you don't ever really know. There's always doubt. Yeah, sometimes you know. And Matt Stafford is the right size and the right build with the right arm. And Stetson Bennett is none of those things. But it just just happened to work. Anyway, it was it was like I said earlier, it was awesome, but it was also weirdly sort of like I know that you you texted me and you you were you you're texting us and you're like, man, winning is fun. And like, yeah, winning is fun, but like winning like that was just kind of like No, uh, relaxing uh, fun. That was fun the way about, that I don't know about this. <laughs> no, that was fun the way that a beach trip is fun. Like this is fun. We're just sitting here winning that i don't want to win that way every time but holy shit what a night i slept like a baby (laughs) i felt great today was it uh poor sportsmanship i know that you said like (laughs) how would how would you feel if you're sunny dykes and the other team is pouring it on like that and then you give stetson the curtain call with like 13 minutes to go in the game then you give the defensive starters the curtain call on the next series i think with like nine or ten minutes to go in the game was there anything that Georgia could have done differently to make it less painful or less embarrassing for the TCU Horn Frogs? And should they have? I, I think not, not to kick TCU while they're down, but I think this was kind of their failure too, because they kind of just gave up. Like you, the other team will call off the dog, so to speak, and just kind of run the ball, right? But they're going to honestly run the ball, right? They're not going to take a knee or something. They're going to run, and the running back, like, hey, this is exciting. I want to run. The O-line's like, hey, we want to protect. So if you give up on defense— Yeah, what are you are you supposed to take a knee with right, nine yeah. minutes to go in the game? Or right. with, with, with ten minutes to go in the third quarter? Right. Like, because— so like I was saying earlier about when I went from feeling nervous to feeling, okay, we're fine. So the dogs uh, score that touchdown. Then they get the ball on the fumble. So they go up 10-0. And, and then and then on that next series, TCU hits that long throw on the busted coverage. And they end up scoring the touchdown. Duggan runs it in from like a yard out. And it's 10-7. to And I'm still like... Like this, this is a scrappy team, this TCU, and who knows what can happen. And if the defense keeps making stupid mistakes like that, which by the way, we had seen over and over again, the last two times that we saw this team play against LSU and against Ohio state, where the defense just sort of seemingly falls apart out of nowhere, then like we could be in a legitimate uh, trouble here. Right. Right. And of course, you never know how Stetson's going to end up playing for the rest of the game. So I'm nervous then it goes 17 to 7 like right away. I forget what exactly the plays were, but we answered immediately and then it's 24 to 7. And even at 24 to 7, that's when I started getting texts yeah. from people like not not Georgia fans, but like other people who follow college football who are like, "Oh, you must be feeling pretty good." And no. I'm like, "Ah, fuck you. Shut up." <laughs> no. Don't do this. I know no, what you're no. doing. Uh, this is Abe at 24 to 7 being a bastard and texting me insurmountable lead, which kudos to you for dropping that from the repertoire, uh, by the way. And and so 24 to 7, I'm still not sure. And then we score two touchdowns at the end of the half to go 38 to 7. And and it was it wasn't even the thirty one to seven. It was when it went thirty eight to seven. And I was like, okay, yeah, this might be all right. This might be just fine. We just scored a, a gift touchdown at the end of the half. And by the way, there's no such thing as pouring it on 
in the first half. You yes. just get yeah. all of the yeah. points yeah. that you you gobble them up like hungry, hungry hippos. There's no such thing as pouring it on in the first half. If there's points to be had, you get them because there's only so many possessions in a game. And uh, as silly as it is to say now, uh, TCU's a second half team, right? They've had that and magic Kirby all year said long. Our third quarter has not been our best quarter. Right. Yeah, and and if they shave that deficit in half, then the fourth quarter gets tense. Like it's, it's just yeah. no, just go, just score as if it's still a competitive game. Just continue right. to play. So 30, 30, 31 to seven can very quickly become like thirty four to twenty seven before right. you know it. Right. Like it, and and then like yeah, you're still comfortable, but like you know. Georgia people, Atlanta sports fans yeah, know. Yeah, that's we all remember. Yeah. and then you come back and it it doesn't change a bit in the third quarter. Now, granted they get a stop. They finally get a stop and force a punt coming out of the half and good for them, but the defense immediately uh stands right back up against them and then we're just back to the scoring thing and it was just done the game was over and i don't think like there's i legitimately don't think that we could have done very much differently to make it less oh, embarrassing for yeah. them it would only be more humiliating if you start literally taking a knee and punting or just like having your running back go yeah. down after five yards gained instead of uh, busting it for as, as far as he can. And, you know, uh, J-Pod, the kicker, did what he could after the after that last touchdown gets scored and he, yeah, he, shanks, the, he shanks the extra point. But, you know, that's one for you, guy. Right, right. Is next year the year where the playoffs are expanded or is there one more Not year? Yet. One more year. Okay. I thought they were going next year to the expanded playoff. I think 2024. All right, we should check that real quick. In my head, I was I thinking I said to whoever I talked to, I want to do to TCU what we did to Hawaii, and and we did that. It was way worse than that. It was way worse. But the idea being, like, you you haven't been hit this hard. You don't know what you're dealing with. This is what you're dealing with. The the in retrospect that that Michigan TCU game doesn't make sense because like Michigan has Michigan good players. Yeah, they just yeah, screwed t- up. Like if, if, 20, yeah. you guys are right. It's not. It's it will not be next season. So we still have a four team playoff next year. Okay, because you know once they do expand it, there aren't always four good teams in a year. Like this seems like it was kind of a down year. I mean, they you know Alabama gets could have been brought in, but they lost too many games. But like. When they expand it to eight, we're going to have more of these goofy uh They'll just be earlier. Games. Yeah, it'll be earlier. There'll be like some 63, whatever, nothing games yeah. or whatever where one plays eight or something. Uh, yeah. I, I think we'll see more of these lopsided games going forward. It may not be for the championship game, maybe, but early on, definitely. Yeah, but also, like, I don't know that you're going to get a higher quality football after you have you make these teams play an extra couple of rounds of playoffs. No, like, that, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Oh, it'll be like the podcast I was listening to this morning was talking about, like, the Cinderella stories that you get in college basketball are fun, and then they never win because then they play Duke. Like, right. Eventually, Duke or Kansas or one yeah, of these like, like blue someone, blood teams, yeah. it, because of how it's set up, right. it's fun for a little while right. and then not so much. Right. right, and the advantage of an expanded playoff is that if TCU plays Michigan in the first round of a lengthy playoff or a relatively lengthy playoff, and the same result happens, then TCU gets knocked out the next week right. by whoever it is, and then right. uh, you know attrition happens over the right. course of a longer playoff, and the best teams advance. Instead, Michigan just 
absolutely shits the bed and hands them like half of half of the points that TCU well, scored were helped. just gifts. Yeah, there, and two also, of them were like pick sixes, right? Like just right. immediate and, points. Yeah, and yeah, like who knows what it would have taken for Georgia to lose that game last night, given the way that we won the game. But yeah. I don't yeah, know. I mean, uh, Ohio State could have easily done that after Shanker didn't shank it. You know, like they could have easily. Right. It's tough pummel. to be Ohio. I mean, fuck them, obviously. But like <laughs> Ohio State is feeling like we were feeling in 2012, I'm well, sure. Well, fuck them. Yeah. After the Alabama game where Aaron Murray didn't spike the ball to give us one more play there at the end. And, and Alabama goes on to whip Notre Dame in the BCS championship. I guess that's all I've got on that game. I again, like I, my prediction stands. I, there's no reason to think that this Georgia team is going to lose any of their games uh, this coming yeah. season. I mean, who knows how much better Tennessee looks or how much Florida is significantly improved? But I think both of those quarterbacks are expected to move on, so you can't really rely on that. And you know, the SEC is weird. South Carolina plays. He uh, just Spencer Rattler just said he was coming back. Right. So if South Carolina plays against us the way that they played against Clemson and Tennessee and uh, whoever else they almost beat this year, then we could be in trouble. You never know. That's why you play the fucking games. But we will certainly be favored in every game next year, and and it'll be fun again. And I don't know how you avoid becoming a total shithead as a fan. (laughs) It requires a great deal of work to not become a total fucking shithead. Uh, as a as a fan of a team that just put the worst beat down in a national in, in any bowl game in college football history, I think history. that w- we have time. Like it's this is two out of forty years. Yeah, forty years, fifteen of which we were this fucking right. close. Right. So we have a few minutes to to gloat. You know, and then then we will become assholes. All right, so I will give Abe the opportunity to be an asshole right now. Abe, <laughs> uh, you said that you said that this was the beginning of a Georgia dynasty before yes. we won the title last year. I believe uh, there there was a, a Abe and a lot of other people, a, Aaron Murray included. Not one, not two, LeBron yeah. kind of yes. situation that you were yeah. getting yourself Except into. Successful, yes. Right, we've won two titles now in the twenty twenties. Yes. In the, 21 and 22 season over under for Georgia this decade uh counting say 20 the 29 regular season as the last season right. even though the, the oh. national championship game is in 30 it still counts right. o- okay. o- over under 3.5 national titles for the decade including the current two is obviously over i mean come on who, who's getting who over four over. yeah <laughs> You know, uh, Georgia has at minimum, according yeah. to you, two more titles. Two more titles, next- yeah. That would be that. That's pretty re- reasonable, I would say. Uh, there were showing- right, you set the over under then. If if three no, no, and a half is no, too, I'll easy. take it. Why would I? Uh, <laughs> that's a great line. Last year, I was giving one and a half. I was like easy over, but people wouldn't commit to it. But uh, they're showing. The, the, I saw a few graphs of like Avatar one and Avatar two box office performance it kind of follows a very similar model where it's not yeah it's not like a gangbuster opening weekend but it's just like a very consistent like at the top um and you know alabama had how many titles in the in the the previous decade like every other year i'm I'm thinking they're gonna be something like that like i think they had like five in in the in in the 2010 four or five i don't know how many they had but a lot whatever they had 
I think we'll be on that same track for this decade. Because Have you spoken to your friends who hate Georgia? Are <laughs> yes. they okay? <laughs> uh, a lot of time uh, is so. I'm going to be uh, speaking to them later this week. And uh, as soon as the game was over or the morning, you know, this morning, the day of our recording here, they're like, okay, let's cap the amount of minutes. We're going to talk about Georgia to like nine minutes. Everybody's tired yeah. of Georgia. And it's like, <laughs> okay. I was like, they literally just won a back-to-back title. I mean, that's no, worth something. That's fine. Hey, they also, talk about it. you that's stupid fine. assholes, you're uh, doing a podcast. Half the fucking podcast yes. went to the college. <laughs> Fuck you. What are you talking no, about? It's fine. Don't yeah. talk about it. Right. It doesn't but change the, the outcome. If they yeah. don't want to talk about it uh, for more than nine minutes, you should have me zoom in, and, I, and I'll uh, I'll fill in and do it do an hour with you guys. That'll be fine. Also, Bob's mm. right for the Disney execs listening. You end the movie with a little revisionist history where instead of a missed field goal at midnight, it's a caught pass to win at midnight. And then the epilogue of the movie is Stetson Bennett then went on to win the second title. And And so, so that, and it actually raises an important question, which is in the Stetson Bennett movie, which is inevitable. Starring Timothy Chalamet and Tom Cruise. Does the movie end with the twenty with last year's title and then the epilogue, the words no. that pop no. up at the end say no. Georgia would go on to win again with Stetson no. as their quarterback the next year? Absolutely or, not. Are you kidding? I mean, I, I I'm just no. asking the question because usually you don't rub it in, right? You don't no. in, in these sorts of stories, you get to the top of the mountain and you don't say, Okay, and then we're going to this other fucking mountain, and there's an hour more of no, a movie no, no. to go. No, because what Kirby said, we're Stetson coming and saying, people think I should leave, but so I'm the, not going to. So does the, the movie opens. Okay, so here we are then. Okay. Uh, let's, let's do this. This is our pitch. We got 90 yeah. seconds in the elevator with Bob Iger. <laughs> no, gonna... he was there. Bob Iger's already on yeah, it. Yeah, but he needs the fucking story pitch. Yeah. It's not good enough. Opening scene of the movie is the 2020 is the first championship the dogs win it and then oh and then and the highlight package ends and you cut to the first scene and there's stetson and his mom in the coach's room at buttsmere with with kirby no no no. and then you go back right so then uh, this is setting the scene and then you go back he he says i'm gonna come back because nobody thinks i can do it and it's like fucking 17 years earlier and it's little stupid stetson like running around his house throwing a football around saying he's training to be a a quarterback open the movie with this the sack fumble that's how you open the fucking movie Mm. then you you're, I can't believe you call yourself a writer. You don't even know how to do this movie that's already been done. You open with the sack fumble. No, I disagree. You may, maybe you open it. You open at the JUCO or something. Or like you that, open. But... You could open at uh, JT Daniels is hurt. You're starting. No, here we go. I got it. I got. It. I figured it out. Stetson Bennett. He's 16, 17 years old, walking to the mailbox, and he's looking for letters from different colleges. And it's like University of Jerking Off is one of them. And it's like University. He got into a lot of really good schools. Yeah, but he's getting scholarship offers from like West Charleston State or right. something like that. Yeah, but they, you're, he'd get the texts. He'd, he's get, like, Mom, he'd be getting texts. Mom, they want me to go play ball at, at, at <laughs> East West University High. And I don't want to do that. I always Not said how I Timothy wanted to Chalamet be a, talks at I, all. I wanted to be a Georgia boy. I'm going to walk on at Georgia, Mom. And mom's like, I don't know about that stuff. No, she's supportive every bit of the way. Anyway. Ugh. 
You got anything else on this Clearly game? Clearly, you need a woman to write the movie. Jesus I, uh, Christ. On, on this movie pitch, uh, is the odd is the target audience just Georgia fans? Because like, no, most of these absolutely not. Because no one would understand the that the context of that i've seen a lot of these sports biopics and they're always like a linear it would start with 17 you know when it was very young cut to him struggling to make the you know to be on the team yeah. at georgia no, and work its way you open with like a flashbacky you open it's not a montage but like a but, very yeah. moody like you are in the moment with the sack fumble right and some sort of communication of we're not going to lose this game because of me in any event the movie's going to be way worse than we want it to be and obviously i can't write it no but seth emerson's gonna write we it. can definitely rewrite it after it comes also, out and complain about it this could all be premature it could be like the next tom brady after one doubt after another he you know gets to the hall of fame in the nfl so maybe the movie will be broader than maybe. that you know ongoing what is the most annoying team that stetson bennett could become the quarterback of clemson no, no, no. In the <laughs> NFL. Like, what would be... Cowboys. It, it has to be the Patriots, right? No, like if the Cowboys. He, if, if, if Belichick sees something in him, the same way he saw something in Tom Brady. Yeah. And they, they win a title there. Like, man, it would be hard for me to maintain my my affection that or, I've developed well, for Stetson over the last Well, why would it have to be annoying? Years. You could have it be like the that baseball movie with Oakland. I would love it if he if he went to the Giants. I think that would be hilarious, uh, and I don't I don't care for Daniel Jones either. He's just uh, super tall, and that's all of the reason that he's a quarterback in the NFL. Can I tell you one more thing about football? Yeah. So last year, after we won a title for the first time in forty one years, my first client of the day, which I probably said on this podcast, my first client of the day was an Alabama fan, and I knew that about her. She went there when Saban was just starting. Like, okay. she comes honestly. It's fine. She's great. And we had clearly – she didn't remember my affiliation, but I was doing her hair, and she was like, ugh, that game last night. Well, what she said was, ugh, that Alabama game last night. And I leaned in real close to her ear and said, you mean that Georgia game last night, Jess? <laughs> And she went, oh, I forgot. And I was like, yeah. And then I, you know, went on. To, right. Everything's cool. Yeah. She was my first client of the day after the title game last year. This year, she was my last client of the day. Nice. Yeah. That's impressive. It's very consistent. Yeah. She comes and she gets her hair done. She didn't even remember. She saw my shirt. I wore my Georgia shirt. Yeah. Which is like never. I never do that in public. And she was like, "Why are you wearing that?" Oh my god, you guys beat down. Yeah. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, we did." <laughs> she, yeah, she didn't even remember until I reminded her. Anyway, that can end our national championship talk. Audience, you'd be relieved uh, relieved that the football season is over. I'm sure, as that's now two hours in the last two podcasts that we've devoted right. to the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm sure. Uh, the most important thing. What you're really here to hear is me bitch about Kevin McCarthy and the, or the Speaker NFL. of the House and all the rest. Yeah, uh, good news on the we should we should clean up our Demar Hamlin stuff from last week. We were watching that game. <laughs> oh, live. Yes. sorry, that was a bad idea. Watching that, we could have watched somebody die. Turns out he's uh, gonna be okay. Uh, maybe not football okay, but definitely uh, gonna live uh, moving forward here, barring some other terrible eventuality i don't know 
how much there is to add to that, except to also say that I was right again. As soon as I saw him go down the way that he went down, I said, there's going to be uh, vaccination conspiracy theories. Yeah, you were right very quickly. Before we're done here, and I was right. Yeah, there it was didn't a lot take of long. that. There's this video that goes around now that people pass around that insists that world-class athletes are just dropping dead on the field all of the time, and it it's largely but they a didn't fabrication. Used to. Yeah, for what it's worth, uh, not that not that that sort of thing should need to be explicitly debunked, but it's the sort of imagery that is powerful, right? So you you put together something with some music on it, and then it's a bunch of soccer players or football players and baseball players just sort of falling over, seemingly unconscious or dead. And it's like there's no context for any of this stuff. You don't know what year it was. You don't know what ended up happening. You don't know even whether or not these assholes were vaccinated. Right. Like there's no actual yeah. information there. There's only a contextual framing by someone who's trying to convince you of something that's bad. And then and then you point all of that out, and the Tucker Carlsons of the world get all huffy and are like, "Oh, you can't ask questions now. Right. You got a problem with somebody who's who who has serious questions about this stuff?" It's like, no, man. It's just that you shouldn't be spreading fucking obvious lies uh, about things and scaring people uh, for no good reason. Right? How come the uh, is the information even accurate? Like in, important part of the just asking questions? Like it seems like. Yeah, the implication of these memes are very clear, but there's no sourcing. There's no like because the truth value of any claim in the modern context is completely irrelevant. Right. Because all that matters is the narrative. Yeah. People have their established narratives. They have the things that they believe. Then they cherry pick the evidence that they want to point to that, and whether or not the evidence actually points to that is completely beside the point. Because even if you point out you're using horseshit to back up your narrative, they say. The horseshit is besides the point right. because the underlying thing is still true. Right. It's like when you talk it, – it, it it's the same thing I've been saying on this stupid show since 2009, which is when somebody says something racist that turns out not to be racist, the person who said that what they said was racist comes back around to, yeah, but you don't understand. He's actually racist. It doesn't matter that I was wrong about this one particular thing. There's something else going on here that you don't realize. Right. When people are – feel a certain way they don't want anything else to kind of detract from that even though after the fact or the proper contacts clears everything up it's it's always kind of like the old uh, adam carell like yeah but still basically it's like people still want to cling on to the emotion of their argument even though like the substance of the argument has fallen apart They're like yeah never mind the specifics like i know half of the people pictured here were pictured before the pandemic. Like this, these are pictures from like five years ago. But never mind. It you know people are still dropping like flies, and it's because of the vaccine. Right. You know, it's the it's the mom who whose uh, son is a gangbanger who killed three people in a drive by, and she's like, oh, he's a sweet boy. I don't know. Like this is impossible. It's the, that that doesn't make any sense. We right. all now have the mom narrative. We're we're so attached to our ideas right. about the world that we we treat them as our children uh, who are involved in inexplicable drive by shootings and and excuse it all away in favor of the things that we already believe. And right. it, it like it it's, gets tired to even say, but it's just constant and it i don't know if it's something about the modern context specifically i don't know if it's uh the the medium is the entire problem here or at least a significant chunk of the problem but it seems worse than ever before on that front and and again 
maybe it maybe it it's always been this way and you don't re- you you realize it more now because you can watch people doing it at mass scale in real time maybe it's just what humans do and always have who knows uh moving on from that it's good to see Demar Hamlin uh, doing just fine. The Bills on the opening kickoff this weekend yeah. uh, ran it back for a, a hundred plus yard uh, touchdown return, and the sta- it was at home. It was in Buffalo. The stadium was going absolutely bonkers, and the radio call was fucking dreadful. And I'll probably drop it in here because of how amusingly bad it was. <laughs> Five degrees here this afternoon as Folt puts his foot into the ball. It's going to be short. Fielded at the four by Hines, coming straight up the middle to the twenty. Cuts it back at the twenty-five. He's got an alley down the right sideline to the forty, fifty, down to the forty, thirty-five, thirty, twenty, fifteen, ten, five. Touchdown, Naheem Hines, ninety-six yards. Run, run as fast as you can. You're not catching Hines. He's your end zone man. Buffalo on the board with the first play from scrimmage. As I said to you guys in the text thread, the most important thing to do when 100,000 people are completely losing their minds in a highly emotional, cathartic moment is to just let that moment breathe. Right. And there's, it's, first of all, there's never a good time to drop in your preferred parochial. Uh, like nickname that you've given this guy, like it's always bad. Like it, it, the, the most obvious one is the Yankees guy who comes up with all the stupid fucking names for the Yankees who hit home runs. It's always bad. It's never cute or funny. It, it maybe the first time you hear it, it made you giggle at the audacity of such a bad nickname, but it's never actually good. And in that sort of moment, you just shut the fuck up. You say, this place is coming unglued. And then you let that thundering noise happen in the listener's ears for the next 30 seconds. Stop fucking talking. Right. I, th- th- there is a uh, total lack of restraint that uh, a lot of these people, uh, the, the, the announcers have when these kind of moments happen. I do wonder, though, like in their heads, they're probably thinking like all the famous calls Somebody said something. I mean, I, you can point to a couple where that wasn't the case. Of, you know, the do you believe in miracles? And then there, it was just kind of like mostly back off and let the moment kind of speak for what was happening. But like a lot of times somebody will say something. And so these announcers are like constantly thinking of what to say, but they miss these opportunities to just shut the fuck up. Like just don't say anything. Just let the crowd right. reaction take over. And as annoying as Jim Nance is, Jim Nance usually has, like, the reason that he's annoying to me is, like, in the final four, he's got, like, half a dozen prepared, ahead-of-time canned lines that he, yeah, was, practi- very that he was practicing yeah. in the hotel mirror the night before the game. Same thing with and the Masters, like, right? Yeah. Right. Right, but at least he he says his big line that he's decided is what needs to be said, and then he backs the fuck off, right? He right. lets the moment fucking breathe. Joe Buck, as annoying as he can be in a baseball game where he like clearly doesn't give a shit, no. or he's just like joking around with John Smoltz as opposed to paying attention to a baseball game in the fucking World Series that's happening, you dope. Like, it's one thing if you do 162 of these things a year and you have a rapport with a guy and with your audience and you can, you can like, you recognize, like, this is more about a, a relationship with us and the game and the audience than it is necessarily with doing a great job of calling the game. 
But when you only do fucking 15 games a year and they're all World Series games of great import, then you should be fucking paying attention to the right. game uh, and, and showing some respect, which is what uh, Bob Costas, he, what makes him a great play-by-play guy in baseball is that he's always sort of in the moment there at least. Right. As annoying as Joe Buck is in baseball, in football, he's generally been pretty good about just doing the call and then letting the moment breathe and not getting in in the way of everything else that's going on. And Troy Aikman, to his credit, as sort of a big dope, also is like, all right, why would I say anything? <laughs> I don't have anything to say here. But, I literally have no words forming in my brain at the moment. What would I say? But, you know, it's uh, interesting uh, on the, on the uh, Aikman front because it – if there are two people in the booth, the second person can step on it too because uh, you were referencing the radio call, but there was also the, the, the CBS broadcast with Nance and Tony Romo. And Nance right. did the thing where he explained what was happening and then just pulled back. But Tony Romo was like, fuck that. Yeah, we'll keep everybody posted on Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Miami and the Jets were underway as New England decided to defer after winning the toss. And here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield. And down the sideline he goes. This is storybook. An opening kickoff return for Tamar Hamlin. And this place is absolutely going wild. Oh, you just said this is storybook. This is almost fate. I just can't believe what just happened. Josh Allen, the same thing. Six days removed from this incredible can't believe it. Scene that we saw with the Bills player down in Cincinnati, and now oh. Tony Romo is like, you said, you yeah. said storybook. <laughs> it is like that. It's like storybook. It's like someone wrote it. Good call. Yeah, like so Tony excited. Romo thinking that the color man means he just grabs the nearest crayon and scribbles all <laughs> over the the page that Jim Nance just laid out in front of him. No, you dope. Shut the fuck up. By the way, uh, on the. Uh, Nance probably is rehearsing these things in a mirror somewhere. Do you think that these uh, guys, like the the Nance of the world, they crowdsource these things? Like you know, like a stand-up com- comedian will sometimes get like jokes. It would have to be a very, uh, it'd have to be a nice tight text chain with some old buddies, yeah, right? Because you yeah. couldn't, you could not risk. No, that's true. Yeah. Just, <laughs> you could not risk just posting anonymously on Reddit. Like, say, guys, what do you think would be some good calls for the Penn State Nittany Lions this year as they, they make a surprise run into the Final Four? Yeah. You got any good – like, like just if you, for example, were a, a play-by-play man with a prominent job at a, at a major network, okay. it's the sort of thing you would say. It would have to be a very – Yeah. No, you're right. Very I didn't thread. mean to bring this back to Georgia football. I'm sorry. But speaking of, could we look this over first? The shirts that the players got, the championship T-shirts oh, last bad. year, they were hideous. I didn't yeah. even buy one. They were hideous. Yeah, I mean, I bought bad. other ones. They're bad again this year. This year, they're, a, they're, they're one-upping how hideous. It says game recognize fame. Uh, oh, man. Which what, doesn't What does that make, even mean? It, yeah. It's... And so then... Oh, you should pull up a picture because it's like they made this whole thing. They made this whole ugly picture of a shirt. And then they were like, fuck, we forgot the Nike swoosh. Just throw that on top. And someone was like, well, if we win, then we get two trophies. So you should put two trophies on it. It's like, fuck. All right, put them on the other side with with the Nikes over on the other side. Shit. Game recognized fame. It's just terrible. So they took the game recognizes game. Immediately bought one. 
game recognized game is a thing. And game recognized to... fame is a thing. Oh boy, that is a hideous shirt. It's I'll so make sure ugly. there's a picture in, in the it's show. It's so note. ugly, and like the the back font back. is bad. There's like four fonts on this fucking shirt. I love shirt. it so much. It is it gonna says be back a... to back. On, on like on like a, a cinema marquee, I guess because they're in Hollywood. I guess. Also, go dogs, just cause obviously. Also, the it's, the two national title trophies are in such a placement as if they're going to add to it, or they're going to keep the series of ugly shirts for. Right. They look like they look like scarecrows. Everything scare about up there. this shirt is so bad that I needed it. <laughs> I I needed it. It's on its way to my house. Yeah. There's uh, the. Braves had this problem too, where the immediate uh, World Series stuff was just fucking hideous, and they, they they always insist on putting gold in these things lately for some reason. Like, just give me the team colors, yeah. give me a a big banner or something that says twenty twenty two national champions, and move along. It doesn't anyway, have to be. Sorry to it sorry is, to pivot back to Georgia football, but that shirt is hideous. It's you way- cannot walk out in public in that fucking shirt. Oh, I'm not going to. I'm going to own it. It's way too to walk uh, around. It's way too busy. Like too it's much so stuff. So busy. It's so bad. It's crazy it's how this was shirt. approved and, by And anybody. as usual, oh god, I so badly want to see the losing teams winning shirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need to intercept that that crate of stuff Ugh. that's on its way to Africa or wherever right now. Sucks. We can see what the TCU gear looked like. <laughs> That's what they do with those. I've read stories about this because, of course, they have to print. I don't know. Has that been ever verified? Not bra- this is by no means breaking news. I've known this forever. No, but, but is this like a made-up thing or is this actually? No, a thing? Julia I've- said she found one in Hungary. Okay, it was a Can Redskins I- okay. like Super Bowl winner, whatever year they went and didn't win. Right. I'm shocked that they don't just sell them on the secondary market because. I would buy. Yeah. I would buy so many. I, you know how many Alabama national title 2021 shirts I would buy if that were available to me. Like the and the uglier the better in this oh, case, be, right? I would buy every year the losing teams yeah. winning. Yeah, shirt. you buy the losing teams winning shirt. It's a there's a fucking gold mine to be made there. It would be confusing to people who aren't followers of the sport. They just will see. Oh yeah. no, they wouldn't be confused. They wouldn't care. <laughs> like, boy, the Bills were crushing it in the nineties. <laughs> Anyway, uh, one last quick note on sports. We don't have to talk about it for very long. Novak Djokovic is going to miss any U.S. tournaments again this year. This matters right now, not because of the U.S. Open, but because the the tournaments that happen, there's like the Miami Open, and then there's the one in Indian Wells is another major tournament. And uh, he is still unvaccinated. And for, I mean, say what you will about that, I suppose. But the holdouts have sort of been proven right. Uh, in certain ways. I mean, not necessarily that I don't think that people should get vaccinated. I was glad to get vaccinated. I still have not got COVID and I'm, I'm as fully boosted as can be. And you, like you're fine. Right. And I'm fine. I I have not yet uh, dropped dead of, uh, give it time. Surprise heart attack brought on by the vaccine. And then a punch to the heart. Right. But there's no good reason that Novak should, or, or, needs to get vaccinated and it's weird that the united states is continuing to not allow people into this country who cannot prove their vaccination status right you should always uh update based on the information as you have it you know this policy came about during the peak right and what it's supposed to expire in april what is the this existing rule well they just keep pushing whatever the rules are they keep maintaining the 
emergency because this is not something that Congress decided to do. Right. This is executive action stuff. And so as Biden will continue to enforce this as long as he like the, the reason that he continues to, to call it an emergency is so that he can have these sorts of rules in right. place. And so it's likely that it will be extended further just in, just for the other powers that are available to him. Presumably, I mean, as long as we have the, because he's going to want to keep doing the border stuff, right? He doesn't want to remove Title Forty Two. I mean, it, it gets well, into the, the posture is that he does, but like he's glad that the Supreme Court, right, did not uh, conversations that I don't particularly want to have. I I fast forwarded through all of the immigration stuff this weekend on the Sunday news shows. I'm so fucking tired of the posturing and the horseshit. Yeah, from. Basically, all sides of this, there's like a half a dozen people who can speak on this with any integrity and authority, and they're just screaming into the wind at this point, and there's no – nobody listens to them, and there's not any actual interest uh, from any side to to do anything that is rational when it comes to border policy. And, and Biden's going to the border this – over the weekend – is just an utterly pointless gesture that, uh, like, I thought, first of all, I thought that was Kamala's job. She was supposed to solve the border crisis. Right. Uh, didn't appear to get much done on that front. And there's, it's obvious that nothing is going to get done in this Congress. Also, wh- wh- what is it that people, I mean, I know, not to turn it to the immigration topic, but it's like a lot of this stuff is basically, like, outside the control of the U- U.S. I mean, it is all within the control in, in the grand scheme of things, but, like, Something goes wrong in Central America somewhere, and then there's a need for people to leave because of fear of violence or whatever, right? Uh, people are going to show up to the border no matter what. Like whatever the policy is, people are going to show up at the border because they're desperate, right? So like is there any deal that could be negotiated to where you can capture some sort of – Well, no, because the Republicans only want to frame it in terms of all of the fentanyl that's coming across on the on the backs of Guatemalans and right. Mexicans and other uh, drug smugglers. And which as, is not, as I is, understand it, how it goes, right? It's, right. As we've discussed on the show before, is a, a largely a load of horseshit. Again, there are not reliable interlocutors on either side of the so-called debate, and it's not clear to me – uh, why exactly? Because it is a problem that is solvable, or at least approachable. Not maybe it's not actually solvable. Who the fuck knows? But it's the sort of thing that like Congress explicitly should be doing, and there's just absolutely no leadership on the issue right. of, of value. And it seems like it's more of a uh, it's a stronger case just to campaign on, but to do something about you know whatever. Let's say they were able to come together and come up with some comprehensive bipartisan by that i mean like a few republicans vote for it too uh package uh and it, you know it will take years for it to kind of digest through the system um for it to have an impact so you'll still see I mean, they were close marco rubio was close yeah, 2013 until, was it yeah right they they were near to at least approaching and trying to solve this sort of stuff and the right-wing media machine managed to turn it into something that is completely untouchable for Republicans to want to work with Democrats. And it's, and I, I hesitate even to blame, I mean, it's easy to blame the Republicans here, but like something shifted in the, in, in almost global culture when it comes to this stuff, because it, it, it's very much of a piece with what happened in England. It's very much of a piece with what's happened in, in France and other uh, Western European countries where there's been this sort of reaction to 
what has been described as basically unfettered immigration from uh, the global Syria. south or from Africa, right? Or Syria, right? Made, was that the 2015? Right. Yeah. And in 20 and in Europe, it was Syria. Yeah. And it's it's been like this. It's a thing. It's like a mood that has swept the entire globe. So I'm not sure that it's entirely fair to blame it uh, exclusively on Republicans here. But again, whatever. There's, it's a complete non-starter politically for anything to actually get done. Right. So. right. Kevin McCarthy, speaking of non-starters, Kevin McCarthy was elected speaker on uh, late on Friday night. It was well after midnight, I think, when it finally got done. It was the 15th vote. This is uh, a record, I believe. And, in, and certainly this is the sort of thing that hasn't happened in something like 100 years. I think uh, it's it uh, you have to go back to the Civil War before the Civil War – because initially it was like nine for like the 1923, like 100 years ago. But then once they got past nine, the next was basically like 18, whatever, like 50-something, 30-something, like right. a long time ago. McCarthy finally gets the votes he needed. It's not to say that he actually got a majority. He needed 218 for a majority. He only got 216 votes to Hakeem Jeffries 211 or 212. Yeah, yeah in that area. But uh, the six strong holdouts decided not to vote for other people. Instead, just voted present, which lowered the threshold for the total number of votes that McCarthy needed uh, by six, which meant that 216 uh, was, was, a number. was enough of a number yeah. to and get him over the hump. Yeah. Does any of this matter? Uh, will, will this fight matter in a meaningful way? And are any of the concessions that he had to give up uh, meaningful or was this die cast already, as we sort of said last week, where it almost doesn't matter how the fight goes because this is a, a Republican House that's going to be a disaster no matter what? Uh, so did, did any of this matter or is it just sort of part of the overall dysfunction of this Republican House that we're going to see for the next two years? Right. Well, first, you know, it, it is a testament to how weak McCarthy's hand is in all this that – he basically, I mean, we still don't know all of the, the concessions made, uh, but it seems like he made a lot of concessions to the holdouts. There were about 20 or so. They weren't of similar interest, but, you know, the number 20 got down to about six, right? These six people who no matter what would not vote for him, right? Uh he gave up everything, and they still couldn't stomach voting for him, and he had to settle for just say you're here. You're not right. going to vote. And even that couldn't be agreed to. I mean a lot of embarrassment could have been spared if a lot of this was dealt with in the back – right, you know, behind the cameras, not not in front of the everybody. That, the way that Pelosi did it. The right. Because the, there was a contentious fight over Pelosi's second speakership because the squad similarly put up a fight. And, and was going to hold out, but they never brought it to a vote until they had the fucking votes, right? right. So there was none of this public humiliation thing, which goes back to the old uh, – a lot of these assholes absolutely must have a weird sexual kink yeah, yeah, about, because, about public humiliation. Yeah, because Kevin McCarthy, I mean, he withstood a lot of that uh, because, you know, on the 14th vote, there was some sort of miscommunication or someone went back on their word, and that's what led to that weird – is there going to be some sort of uh, fisticuffs uh, in in the house, right? I mean, it wasn't as bad as the pictures made it out to be because some. It wasn't clear to me that the guy who's a is he is he he's from South Carolina. He's from, he's one of the Carolinas. Yeah, the other guy, the Alabama. Yeah, who was being held back was 
it's not clear to me that he was trying to get into a physical altercation, but he was apparently angry enough to where his buddy there What's was concerned? like, I'm going to grab you right. to make sure that you're not going to get into a physical altercation. Right. So setting aside some of this, the dramatics of it and the silliness of it and attempting to set aside how distasteful uh, people like Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and I don't know who else to even say, Paul Gosar, I suppose, uh, some of those people are and and will be moving forward. Does it matter that some of the things that they wanted were probably good? Uh, that some of the concessions that McCarthy gave into, does it, does it, because the way that I ended up framing this in my head is that the, this entire thing was entirely the Trumpening minus Trump. And and all the way down to the fact that some of the, some of or even most of the criticisms were entirely valid. Kevin McCarthy sucks. The way that the House speakership has been set up for the last few years completely fucking sucks. Right. It's not the way that governing should be done. It's not the way that laws should be made. And there should be substantial changes to return the House to regular order. All of that is true in the same way that a lot of Trump's criticisms of uh, the the lot of the United States back in 2015 and 2016 had plenty of validity, right? Yeah, you're getting screwed the fuck over. Right. Yeah, the border's fucked up. Yeah, the economy sucks for the common man, right? Uh, yeah, they've been ripping you off for years and they never have to pay their taxes and the, and the banksters are frauds and they weren't properly punished. Uh, but it's just that the the person was not just the wrong person to be making the critique, but not actually interested in fixing any of those right. fucking things. Was just using the dysfunction, wielding the dysfunction of the system as a weapon in order to accrue publicity and power for himself. Like that's the problem here, and that's exactly what just happened in the House over the course of the last week. Which is that there are substantive and substantial things that can be done in the House that would make things better. That they got concessions on right uh justin amash uh, uh i don't know if he's officially libertarian now or if he was libertarian when he was in the house but his long-standing criticism of the way that uh paul ryan ran the house was that paul ryan didn't allow amendments amendments to be put forward that were not previously agreed to uh behind closed doors right that all uh, all legislation basically had to be negotiated with leadership ahead of time before it would go to a vote, and nothing could change about it once it got to the floor, which is not in keeping with the regular order of the House for the last 200 and whatever right. fucking years, right? right? And, this, and then Pelosi maintained that same system where the, the, the speakership has uh, gathered up a great deal of influence and power over the last uh, decade or so. That, they're, that that leadership is not interested in handing back to the rabble of the, the rest of the 435 on the floor, right? And, and that's not the only thing. It's not just the Amash criticism. It's the, it's the fact that we should probably not have massive omnibus bills. We should, in fact, be having regular votes on the particulars of each of these things as the year goes on, right? Like there are a number of criticisms that are completely valid. It's just that the assholes who are wielding them aren't wielding them because they actually want to fix anything. They're wielding, and they didn't have an alternative, which, which makes the whole thing a total fucking farce, right. right? So they first they pivot to the black Florida guy, and they're like, yeah, this is the guy we want. <laughs> Donald's like it? six. Yeah. 
Right. Donald's from Florida. Uh, yeah, him. And that didn't work out. So they switched to somebody else. And then Gates is an asshole and nominates Trump. Right. And Boebert nominates Jim Jordan and they nominate somebody else. And it ends up being like, but there's never any serious alternative to McCarthy. Right. Well, you know, uh, setting aside the people who are pushing, you know, these uh, proposals, if you just look at the proposals, you're right. I mean, a few of them you can uh, quibble with, but a lot of it, it's like not only did I see some validity in it, I always thought, thought that they were being – they weren't going far enough. I think one of them was like time to read the bill. I think they wanted like three days or something, and I'm like, what? why not make it 30 days? Like why is it that as soon as a, a bill document is released, it must be voted on right there and then? Why not two weeks or something? Why does it have to be... Right, because leadership has decided what's in these fucking bills, right. and there's not going to be any debate about it. There's not going to... like Because they've accrued power in such a way that a dozen people who are in leadership decide what these bills are, and nobody else does. And it's not like those assholes are up all night writing the bills. They've farmed them out. Yeah, to, everything's to, farmed out. Yeah. So, right. okay. So the, the point that I was going to make is uh, the bad current process that uh, they're trying to change right or they did change with the at least in the house for this congress uh i always think like why is this bad new process in place almost always it's to resolve a bad old process right so i'm wondering if this new way to have more voices be heard and all of that stuff uh brings to a grinding halt, Congress, uh, the House, right? Basically, this new system that allows for more flexibility and more people can make their inputs, and we can only talk about and pass legislation one at a time. That way, as great as it is on paper, is a unworkable thing. Like, what if we reach that conclusion again? Like, and, right. and that's why these they, are, they did it the other way. Crucially, these are fixes for a whole different House of Representatives, yeah. right? Like these, these are fixes that will not matter in this House of Representatives because anything that gets passed out of this House is going to be unpassable in the Senate and it's going to be unsignable for Joe Biden, barring, I guess, like a, eventually a defense bill. But presumably, like we're going to run into these problems in the in the fall because there will be debt ceiling stuff and that sort of thing. And this is the chaos that we're in for is that McCarthy is going to have his leadership questioned. And then we're going to go through this same exact process that we just had this week again. And there, uh, that the mistake that I made in my predictions about 2023 was not realizing that they didn't actually have an alternative, that there isn't anyone else who's going to fill the void. So uh, it, I won't revise my prediction, but I will say I now expect that there will be who knows? There will be half a dozen times starting in like uh, August or, or September when they start calling these these no confidence votes. Right? right. And the same exact process that just happened this past weekend is going to play out again in the fall. And it's going to be McCarthy's again because there won't be a reasonable alternative right. to the point where I think that Democrats might even end up crossing the aisle to vote for Kevin McCarthy to make him the speaker so that they can then fund the government, right? Right. Because there won't be anyone else to put up. Right. And, and, and the Democrats will be in a situation where we're going to work with Kevin McCarthy and the 200 or so relatively normal Republicans to just pass these CRs that continue to fund the government while Matthew Gates gets up there and thunders about whatever nonsense he wants to thunder about. Right. The, prob the one problem that I can already tell is going to be a problem is that the— there's going to be an association between these, uh, at least some of the ones that I've seen, sensible 
changes to the way things are run and the chaos that will ensue from it, right? So basically people will say, this doesn't right. work. That didn't fucking right. work. Yeah. This this right. noble thing failed and the way that they were doing I don't know what Nancy was doing, but she kept on getting the votes and she kept on passing pieces of legislation to the Senate and the president signed them. Right. So like I don't know what they're doing, but their system worked and this system right. does not. And, that, and, and that's the, gonna and be the unanimity the unanimity that the Democrats are speaking with at the moment plays right into that so that when they take the house back over in two years hakeem jeffries can say we're going to go back to the way that it was and uh we've just had a uh we've just gained 10 seats or whatever the number ends up being and we're going to return to regular order where regular order is just what uh nancy pelosi and paul ryan were doing for the the decade previous do you you know what the motivation is as to why so many of the holdouts wanted to bring the number down to one it was already at five all you needed was five people to 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 put the speakership up for a vote, right? Why do they want to bring it down to one just to embarrass them? Because to me, you can get. Yeah, five. I think it's just it's just a question of humiliating yeah. McCarthy at every chance that they can get. I mean, ultimately, the things that they really wanted are the things that we don't know about yet, which is which uh, which committee assignments they're going to get and what what sort of other uh, powers they've been assigned that we don't know about yet. Right. Uh, and no doubt, promises about. Uh, not funding primary challenges to any of these people. So uh, for, I I know we're doing predictions last week, but uh, one and a half speakers this year, this calendar year over under. I'm going to go back on what I said last week and I'm going to, I'm going to say it's going to be under, it's going to be McCarthy. The whole way through this time next year when Georgia wins their third title. not to say that there won't be all of these challenges uh, over and over again, but as long as McCarthy continues to want it, and there's, I mean, there's no indication that he's at all interested and also in this, abdicating this position, right? And also, who else in that environment would want it, right? Like, would you want to be like the just the second? Because you're not going to be, you don't have enough mar- of a margin to do anything impactful. So just let Kevin right. McCarthy eat the shit until you get more more people in 24, or you're in the minority again. Right. All right. Real quick on this uh, Idaho murder suspect guy getting arrested he was apprehended after uh, this was this did not make it into the indictment this has not been uh, made clear in court but there was reporting done that the police working with the fbi used dna found on a, a a leather knife sheath that he left on the bed of one of his victims uh, to build from there a potential family tree from a publicly available genetic database right so like not 23andme but the idea being 23andme or ancestry.com something along those lines where you have these companies or these uh, otherwise public registries where you can send in your dna profile to them uh, as a as a means of finding out where your relatives are in the world Uh, the the hidden side of that relatively hidden i suppose is that uh, law enforcement is able to send a genetic profile over to these databases and then build a potential family tree from the information that they've provided from the database that, that other people have then fed uh, millions of data points into, right? right? So there was all this talk about a white Hyundai Elantra, and there was all this talk about using cell phone records to track down who might have been near the house. Uh, at the at the time of the murders or in the the weeks leading up to the murders, but ultimately, apparently, what happened is that they found out that uh, 
they, they identified a number of relatives that this guy had somewhere else across the country in Pennsylvania. The police then staked out the family house and eventually gathered up some of their garbage and identified the DNA that they took out of this family garbage as being a near guarantee of being the father of the person whose DNA they found at the crime scene, right? Right. And so then they combine that with the fact that that same asshole has a white Hyundai Elantra that they were already looking for, combine that with the fact that uh, his cell phone had pinged off of these various cell phone towers over the, the weeks around the murder. And all of this is happening beyond public view, right? So the, the, there's all that we know, the police aren't talking, they're, they're keeping all of this investigation entirely uh, close to the chest. And there's all sorts of wild speculation online and the, like entirely irresponsible Reddit threads yes. about who's a suspect and who's not. And like what? ex-boyfriends are having their lives ruined. Wasn't there some weirdo that accused a professor or a teacher somewhere and they're still sticking with it even though this new there's person – There's a, a fucking psychic, somebody yes. who like uh, uh, concentrates real hard on the victims and then uses their psychic powers to sort out who the Did killer it? might be. It was the Night Stalker one that she used ancestry. Golden stuff. State Killer, the, yeah, the Golden State Killer, dead wife yeah. who used the uh, genetic That's databases right. to to find out who the Golden State Killer was, and he, he it was the one that they always thought he was going to be a cop, and it turns out he was a cop, I think, or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, I just it, it, I spent the last whatever minute and a half trying to figure out which killer was caught that way. Yeah. And it was him. In the uh, the write up, uh, did they clarify whether or not? And maybe they're not saying anything. There were like two incidents where they were pulled over, like the this this crazy killer who's like a PhD candidate in criminology or something at a nearby yeah. school. He is driving with that car that was associated with the, this killing. Uh, He's driving it all the way to Pennsylvania, right? And he's driving like with driving his dad. Driving home cross-country for winter for break. For winter break. And he's story. driving with his dad. Yeah. And on two occasions, he's pulled over. One for, like, following too close. You know, just regular traffic-related stuff. Let go on warnings on both occasions. Did this Was this some sort of, like, directed by the FBI? Like, hey, we want to demonstrate I don't think, that they're moving. I don't think there's any indication that those were anything but random traffic stops. What a coincidence. It's weird, though. Yeah, yeah, two times. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how weird it is. If they were driving from Idaho to Pennsylvania, you might get pulled over once or twice if you're not following the rules of the road. And who knows? Maybe the police were on alert anyway because they know that they're looking for white Hyundai Elantras. And then you pull the guy over and it's like, ah, you just seem like normal and we have no reason to investigate you further. Minimizing this uh, 23Me variant website, uh, the connection it plays, I can see the logic behind that. But like this can possibly like uh, help their ar- uh, argument in court that – they were drive, you know, they were pulled over in Indiana on the way to Pennsylvania, right? Like, I don't even know what the benefit would be to do this and then lie about it, right? So, like, you would think it would be just coincidence, but like, yeah, it's probably a coincidence. So, you do you think for so? There's a two part reason that I'm bringing this up. One is you say you see the logic in the FBI and the police not wanting to publicize the fact that they're using these databases to do this sort of police work. And there's no reason for them to include it in the indictment legally 
because of course the actual police work that leads to the arrest is not the thing it like you you only have to go back so far in the causal chain here to establish probable cause for arresting this guy it's not like you have to detail every last uh, stray thought that you had or every last uh, like tip that came in on the tip line that leads to the eventual evidence that leads to the eventual arrest, right? Right. So you say that you see the logic there, and I, I sort of do too. It's not the sort of thing that they necessarily want getting out. Does it tickle anything in your sort of criminal justice ethical brain that in all likelihood moving forward, uh, we're, at the, we're at the beginning of this. We're not, we're not at the end of this, right? right? We're at the beginning of... A mass of these massive national and international databases that have genetic profiles of whatever the whatever the threshold is, they appear to have crossed the threshold for then being able to build a profile of who this person might be, including last names, right, including uh, uh, various connections to the family tree, uh, and, and and then proceeding from there. That the, that threshold is only going to get lower uh, the more that more and more people send in their genetic samples and their full genetic profiles to these national and international databases. Does it bother you that law enforcement has access to this sort of thing and can sort of build suspect profiles out of the fact that like this guy's aunt or whatever sent some uh, DNA off to ancestry to find out uh, more about her heritage? You know, it's, it's weird. Uh, I can a hundred percent see the arguments uh, that, uh, I can see the points that, uh, against this sort of thing. Uh, but for whatever reason, this never seems to bother me because it's never – I've never actually seen it be used for some sort of science fiction-y evil way, right? Like, I mean, I guess it's possible, but there's just – I think, for one, this is almost inevitable at this point, right? Like, this is going to be beyond anyone's control. Like, somebody in your family could decide to participate, and that could – you know, when you're stabbing somebody 20 years from now, they'll use that against you, right? right. There's nothing you could do about it, right? I, you know, I guess you could not murder somebody. Uh, but yeah, I think I see the point. And I, I, yeah, you could not murder somebody. Right. I, yeah, I, my level of concern is very low. Yeah, that's why I didn't include it in the Our Bogus Future segment. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't title this part Our Bogus Future because I, I similarly, it does sort of, tickle at me it does make me feel uncomfortable uh but it's also a ship that has sailed and i'm not like I, i'm just it it concerns me at the same level that sort of cell phone metadata concerns yeah, me right it, which is that can can this be used in such a way that it builds an incomplete picture that looks like a complete picture right right that it it, it allows people to build narratives rather than actually build evidence which is all cell phone data generally can do right so this guy for example if you if you're just going off of the cell phone data it's like okay so his his cell phone pinged near a tower that was near to this house a half dozen times or whatever in three weeks surrounding the murders and then his cell phone was off from three in the morning right. until five in the morning the night of the murders yeah so, what you're saying is we need to have more data not less right that's the sort of uh sort of metadata analysis that makes me extremely nervous if it's presented in court as proof of anything right. at all right right like that that is supremely uncomfortable to me this other thing where it's like this fucking dope left uh part of his weapon on the bed there which had his dna on it which then the police used like that 
like it's weird and it feels bad and it feels like a, a but scary. But how is it different than fingerprints? Right. It feels like a scary. Well, in part because fingerprints are uh, an art form more than they are anything else. Well, but that's what uh, I'm like. We've been OK with saying, oh, your fingerprints were on the weapon. So you must have done it like right. this is not different. It's just better. Yeah, it's just it's it, it's something that needs to be handled in a particular way, and exploiting these databases that are largely run by private companies, and that that interplay between private company and massive federal bureaucracy should always make us wary. I think, uh, and and yeah, it's good that it can contribute to the arrest of this fucking scumbag who, I mean. A, like you said, he's a criminal justice major. I guess he's doing field work. Like he, he thinks he's some sort of like I don't know what he thinks. Right? About yeah. Himself, I mean, obviously, like, we don't know any of his motivations or if he had relationships with any of these people. But it just I I won't pretend like it doesn't make me uncomfortable. And it's a conversation worth having. And as long as the FBI is insisting on keeping this sort of information out of the public record whenever possible, that further makes me think that this is a, a larger conversation that we, we should be having in public, not something that we should be trying to tamp down. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, on the on the, on the the specifics of the case, I don't know everything, but it seems like the evidence part is pretty airtight. The motivation part seems to be just, I don't know, right? Because it's usually sure. the husband did it. It's usually not the stranger did it. And in this case, until they... Div- establish some other connections this is a stranger picking on this group of people and casing the joint to where he can kind of get the pattern of when they get home and whatever and then he did his thing and then stayed around to do his finals or whatever then go home for christmas right it's just like a very well, weird you don't want to rouse suspicion by skipping town after a murder yeah that's true yeah uh, the- there's a there's an interview with somebody. This guy watches true crime. Somebody who was in a bunch of classes with this guy in the same graduate program at the same university. He's like, yeah, he was a great student. He talked all the time. Like he was a one of the main participants in any of the group discussions that we had. But he never said a like this case came up and he was radio silent the entire time. Uh, he never had anything to contribute to our discussions about the four murders in the town right next door. Uh, I didn't think of anything about it at the time, but it's weird. Not now. That, yeah, looking back at it, he did do it. Yeah, it's kind of weird. He also was apparently creepy to girls at work, which tracks with people who murder women. Right. And he's- he also was a he was a fat kid who lost like a hundred pounds apparently. So you can't can never trust those sell. types. Oh, no kidding. Go. Yeah, cause in these two schools where he was doing his schooling and. The other school, there's only what, like 20 minutes away or something. It's not very far, so they could have right. had some interaction. Very strange. And, and then the weapon of choice too. Again, it goes against like the profile. Like the that's a pretty personal, intimate kind of thing to be stabbing four people to death. Yeah. And also, by the way, uh, terrific police work. Like you, yes. you shut the fuck up. You don't talk to anybody. You've got a suspect fairly quickly. It seems ultimately, and and. It's fine that we don't know as a public, right? Like right. it's yes. it's and it and it's bad when everybody starts doing their own sleuthing on the internet. Like save it for the cold case right. files, you maniacs. And don't yeah, and, and 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 they took on some light criticism, and they were even though they knew they were on track, they didn't like try to say, oh, we know more and blah blah blah. They just took the hits and they worked their right. case. So kudos to them. All right, last thing here before we wrap up. 
Uh, this is a story in the Times this week headline. A lecturer showed a painting of the Prophet Muhammad. She lost her job. After an outcry over the art history class by Muslim students, Hamline University officials said the incident was Islamophobic. But many scholars say the work is a masterpiece. Uh, this is a piece in the New York Times this week. I'll make sure there's a link to a, a readable article, uh, as in a, a non-paywalled version of the article. That's my gift to you, Aww, listeners. Uh, Abe, did you happen to read this this week? I don't think I sent it to you, I, uh, but it, it made the rounds. I, I saved it to read, but I haven't yet. Uh, very inflammatory. Right, I'll read, yeah, I'll read a couple paragraphs from it. Erica Lopez Prater, an adjunct professor at Hamline University, said she knew many Muslims have deeply held religious beliefs that prohibit depictions of the Prophet Muhammad. So last semester for a global art history class, she took many precautions before showing a 14th century painting of Islam's founder. In the syllabus, she warned that images of holy figures, including the Prophet Muhammad and the Buddha, would be shown in the course. She asked students to contact her with any concerns, and she said no one did. In class, she prepped students, telling them that in a few minutes, the painting would be displayed in case anyone wanted to leave. Then, Dr. Lopez Prater showed the image and lost her teaching gig. Officials at Hamline, a small private university in St. Paul, Minnesota, with about 1,800 undergrads, had tried to douse what they feared would become a runaway fire. Instead, they ended up with what they had tried to avoid, a national controversy which pitted advocates of academic liberty and free speech against Muslims who believe that showing the image of Prophet Muhammad is always sacrilegious. Um... Apparently, someone in the class complained, a Muslim girl Obviously. in the class who's a, a senior, complained to the administration, which then started uh, a big uh, is Islamophobic uh, sort of brush fire on campus where other people started protesting and getting mad about the way that they'd been treated in, in similar ways, apparently. And it uh, spirals out of control to the point where eventually... Uh, it's hard to say she was explicitly fired, but it's one of those uh, she's on a year-to-year -year contract right. and, and her situation will not be renewed uh, moving forward. And it's uh, it's just cowardice uh, by these idiots who are in charge of the university. And I don't I don't see any other way of, of looking at this. And, and I suppose it's way too up our alley to even uh, make it worth discussing. Uh, I do have a couple it, of questions. Um yeah. One, uh, despite the, hey, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, the uh, the student who eventually complained, they stuck through that. They, they, they didn't leave, right? They, they stayed through the whole thing so they could complain or what was – Right. Okay. And then uh, this professor, is this the first time they showed this? Like how come this hasn't been an issue before? Like what, what – I know maybe they, they go through, you know, they have contracts and they're at different universities year to year. But is this the first time this lesson was taught or this attempt to show this picture? Like, I don't know if this is the first time that she's uh, taught this specific course and shown this specific painting. But apparently it is a uh, much revered and, and ballyhooed work of art uh, and of course, the Times article goes on to talk to other scholars, including scholars who happen to be Muslim, who point out that this is a work of art that was done by Muslims at a time 
that it was not considered quite so bad to draw pictures right. of the Prophet Muhammad, and it was long revered by other Muslims as a terrific work of art. And it is only this sort of uh, relatively late prohibition, this concern about iconography and this... Because the, the concern is that it's a blasphemy because you, in the way that the Catholics... Uh, some people complain about the way the Catholics elevate the saints and they elevate the uh, Mary, Mother of God, with all of their statues and their paintings and their stained glass, that it gets in between uh, God and the individual, okay. and that uh, people people start worshiping Mary because they say the rosary over and over again, and that, that there's this concern in Islam that... Uh, People, uh, given the opportunity to have depictions of Muhammad, will end up worshiping Muhammad rather than uh, worshiping uh, God himself. Is there any defense of the university or of the student complaining, or is there no point in even discussing this further because it's such an obvious affront to value, Western values right. of pluralism and academic freedom and the recognition that if you're going to talk about things in a modern context, you're going to have to look at things that uh, some people find offensive. Right. I mean, I mean, as it stands, people are going to react the way they're going to react, right? So there's not much you can do about that. But as a university, at some point, you're going to have to formulate in writing your position on this, right? Because luckily, this wasn't some sort of tenured professor, so they didn't have to do a lot of heavy lifting. They could just say they just won't pick up their next contract, right? Basically just let it lapse and they can fuck off and this won't be a, a problem anymore. Uh, but this is going to continue to happen, you know, at different places because right now there isn't a any policy, as far as I know, against like, oh, you can't show this. Like, it's just one of those things like they shy away from, but they don't as far as I can tell, there's no policy that says you cannot Think about how this. insane it would be for a university to say, we're going to adhere to the tenets right. of Islam right. as currently understood by some percentage of Muslims, right. right? That we're going to defer to the loudest, dumbest voice in the room on on things that they claim to care deeply about at all times, but by at all times I mean only when they're the right victim class, right? right? <laughs> when when they're the right identity group that matches up with uh, historically marginalized groups, right. right? Because it's not like they're. I mean, uh, again, you could come up with a bunch of stupid examples about right wingers not getting their way when it comes to this sort of thing, and largely, by the way, this aligns neatly with uh, a, a younger generation's take on uh what it is to be presented with things that make you feel bad right, right? like that it's curious that this prohibition in islam lines up so neatly with the way that a lot of people talk about uh not being confronted with visions of trauma right uh, warnings about microaggressions and content warnings and 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 trigger warnings and that sort of thing uh, which, by the way, like I don't, I will never understand why trigger warning child sexual abuse is going to be discussed in the next ten minutes is less triggering than the thing itself, right? Like how, like to to me, being told about the thing is going to create in your mind right. whatever the trauma that was about I to be discussed know. was going to create in your mind, because the presumption is almost always that the the 
the, you're trying to protect victims, right? So you, if if you have somebody who has suffered child sexual abuse or something, you you put the trigger warning there. It's like, oh, they're gonna not immediately go to the time no, that they might Uncle not. Freddie fingered them uh, when Uncle Freddie had too many read beers. The thing, or they're at least prepared to hear hard things. Right. Whatever. It, also, to me, it's like uh, what's to me. To me, you're 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 pushing the domino over when you say trigger warning yeah. X already. Right, but of of all of the options available, that would probably be the least bad, right? I mean, saying nothing and then just getting right into it. The reason why they're doing this in the first place is because that didn't work. And then sure, uh, we're going to discuss some difficult things here, right? Uh, you fucking grown ups who are going to college to become even more grown ups. Right. Like, fuck off! What are we no, talking? That's not about why here? people go to college. College is a sham. There was another quote in here that I wanted to read. I'll, I'll butcher the pronunciation here. It says, uh, Miss Wet. Wedatala declined an interview request. This is the student who complained yeah. and did not explain why she had not raised concerns before the image was shown. But in an email statement, she said images of Prophet Muhammad should never be displayed and that Dr. Lopez Prater gave a trigger warning precisely because she knew such images were offensive to many Muslims. The lecture was so disturbing, she said, that she could no longer see herself in the course. So it was not the trigger warning. The, the, the trigger warnings were there because it was such an affront right. to Islam, and that was the problem. And then she did the thing when she knew that she was giving a trigger warning for something that was going to upset people. So in other words, the problem is that she did something that she knew was going to upset me, and then she went ahead and did it. It's not even actually the thing that she did. It's that she did something that she knew was going to upset right. me. Yeah, I mean, that's a silly argument, although— the the trigger warning doesn't really fix anything because, uh, as I understand it, the Muslims are against it being shown at all. Not it's not like nudity where like as long as I don't see it, I don't care if you're naked in your own home. Like they don't want it at right, all. The actual right. fundamentalists who would take issue with this, who is not this girl, whose problem seems to be that Muslims would be offended by this, which is why you issued the trigger warning in the first place, which means that the thing should not be shown. Her problem is not with the tenet of Islam that says there ought not be iconography. Right. Her problem is with the fact that this person knew that she was going to offend right. me and then went on to offend right. me. There are Muslims who would go on to say that this person should be fucking beheaded for even having oh, this work of art. That's always there. Yeah. Right. Anyway, you've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on uh, Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com, castironbrains.com for a show note. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Find his stuff at tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. I wanted, uh, before we get into what we watched, uh, real quick, I had to go out before the football game last night. And do you know what I bought, Abe, at Apparently the grocery store? Apparently you saw Dana and didn't tell me. I did see Dana, but by the time I got You're home. You're an asshole. Uh, by the time I got home, I forgot that I had seen Dana. I had other things on my mind, namely the destruction and dismemberment of the TCU Horned Frogs. Dana is Lori's coworker. Okay, who she She's stands stands next to all day long. I made a funny face and a funny voice at her, and then quickly as exited the grocery store so that I would not have to have an actual social interaction with. <laughs> She's someone never going to talk to you. Don't worry. I know, but I'm just saying what I did. What What did I go? Is it, normally before a game, what do you, What do you need uh, before you you're going to sit and watch the football game? Fritos, food, food, and something to drink. 
Yeah, food and something to drink. I picked up non-alcoholic beer. Nice. Have we not talked store. about this? I don't think we've talked about it on the show before. Which Lori's uh, been variety? drinking. Lori's been drinking these non-alcoholic it's so beers. So great. Uh, it's not great. It's weird. But I almost th- had one tonight. This is a category. This is a, a beverage category that has seen an explosion in popularity over no the last kidding. couple of years. They've gotten much better, too. You know, there's a lot more variety. Yes. It used to, what was it, the, old duels? What was the old? Uh, yeah, yeah, it used to just be gross. It yeah. used to just be gross. Now Budweiser makes one, so you know it must be good. Oh, you know uh, it must be profitable <laughs> anyway. Uh, have you tried these? Ed? I are have. Are you familiar uh, with them? A couple of them are actually not bad. Uh, I did try the Budweiser, Budweiser Zero or whatever it's called. It's not bad. You know, the thing is, I, I tell myself, like, my brain processes things so simply that it's after, like, the second one, like, it's like, ah, oh, this is fine. Right. I can drink this. Uh, but my problem with Budweiser Zero is like, uh, it tastes just like Budweiser. Don't worry. It's like, ah. <laughs> That's kind of the problem. <laughs> I don't think you understand the problem, sir. Uh, so they were introduced to me by Julia, who was direct marketed them on social media. Nice. And she was like, they're actually good. Lori's brand is uh, Athletic Brewing Company. Yeah, it's very, very it's not just mine. It's, oh, what's the Heisman winning quarterback's name? Caleb Williams? He drinks it too. Um, I drink it too. I have it in my fridge right now. See, Abe has it. Um, the uh, I don't drink regular beer because when I drink regular beer, it makes me cranky. Puts her in a foul mood. I, well, it's not even that. It just makes me, no, I don't feel good and I just want to go to bed. I'm not like a... Regular Make listeners it sound of like the, I'm an angry drinker. Yeah, regular or something. listeners of the podcast will know that Lori's uh, normally just a happy little clam, <laughs> but she has a beer. I'm so nice, and turns into you're an <laughs> asshole. I'm so happy when I'm just home sitting. Yeah, yeah, I'm making. But jokes. like, I can drink bourbon, for example, and I don't feel like ugh. I don't, eh. But like, if I drank beer more than like a couple sips, like right. I can have a sip and go, oh yeah, that tastes good. But yeah. if I drink a whole beer of any consequence, like anything more than like a Bud Light Miller Light, yeah. I just don't feel good, so I don't drink it. And I'm jealous that other people can drink beer, and you can drink a lot of beer, and it's football, and it's fun. Yeah. But like, you can't go, oh, you're having beer, I'll have a bourbon. Like, that's not. That's true. We have different things going on yeah. now. So I just wasn't drinking beer. But then Julia brought me this alcoholic brewing company beer. Athletic. Al- af- yes, Athletic Brewing Company. It would be funny if the it's alcoholic like... brewing company was yeah, producing good. non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> anyway, now I can drink beer. That's yeah. good news. Yeah, and I picked up a, a six-pack of the – there's a brewery out of Maryland. They're, I think, entirely national now, so I'm not – it's not special. But uh, Flying Dog is the name of the brewery, and they have made for a long time one of my favorite IPAs, The, the a couple of them actually. Uh, it doesn't matter. don't have to name them, but they're the one that comes in the red – bottle and the one that comes in the orange bottle both very good from flying dog and they had a it's called deep fake which is a clever name for a for a non-alcoholic beer so i bought a six pack of that and i drank a couple of those last night because uh uh, long-time listeners of the show will know that i stopped casually drinking uh alcohol only professionally now regularly (laughs) yeah over the over the christmas break out in denver uh there was plenty of drinking uh done by me but on a 
night to night, week to week, month, even month to month basis. I don't drink anymore unless Abe shows up or something along those lines. <laughs> so I tried this and it, it, it's fine. It's fine. I just, I don't know if I can justify paying $10 for a six pack of non-alcoholic beer in the way I could justify paying $10 for a six pack of beer that will make me feel good. Oh, I, like, I don't love... Yeah. I don't. I'm not uh, Brett Kavanaugh here. I don't <laughs> love the taste of beer so much that I I would uh, passionately I, like, talk about it. It does on the, make on the me Senate feel floor. good. The yeah. way that dessert makes me feel good. It's like the same. It's not. I don't feel drunk, but I feel like I'm getting a treat. Yeah, we'll see if I can convince my brain that it is a treat in the same way that an actual beer can. Or be that a, a dessert. Treat. Is. That's all it comes down to. That's why I sort of bring it up. It's like. These sorts of things are just all about telling your, like yeah. convincing your brain that this is something that is, uh, like either good or bad or like whatever it is. It's it it's about telling your brain the story of why it is that you're drinking it. And like, for me, like I can just drink a big old thing of water and it it's just water. Like yeah. it doesn't feel like a treat. And if I can convince myself that ah, I've had a long day, I think I'll get a nice non-alcoholic beverage from the fridge and like if i can convince my brain that like that makes me feel relaxed and good then great like then then maybe i will buy a case every now and then. right but yeah. i'll i'll buy them because you can buy them online right. so and i don't have to even leave the house yeah it's i think it works also for anyone that's like habit based a lot of people just kind of just out of habit out of this and if yes. you just swap one thing with the other, it's really no. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know anything about the habit <laughs> yes, stuff. Yes, you would. That doesn't, it uh, also <laughs> doesn't for me, work for like me at in all. Denver when we were drinking. Yeah. Like I want another drink, but like no, that's, I don't. That's how I can see using yeah. it very responsibly. So, like, have is, that instead. Right. Yeah. I. It's enough. You. You don't need to drink more. Right. That's right. stupid. I've had. I've had two bourbons, and I'm a person who. If I'm drinking, stop. I need to have the next drink in my hand. There's not an option to not, right? Yeah. So it, like it, 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 the same way with cigarettes used to be with me. Like I, it's going to be in my hand, in my mouth. Like it, it's just what it's going to be. And I'm sorry, I can't fool my brain into thinking that getting a glass of water is just as good as getting the next stopping. drink. Or just, or just stopping, right? Nonsense. It needs to be in my hand. I need to be drinking. It needs to be what's happening if that's what's already happening. So yeah, if I can go from like, okay, I had a bourbon and now I'm going to switch to a couple of these in order to keep drinking and keep having fun and and then not feel as bad the next day, then maybe that that's to the good as well. Right? Who knows? Anyway, uh, hey, what did you see this week? I uh, actually went to go see two movies this uh, past week. Uh, Megan, which is this ridiculous it's a doll movie, right? Doll it's like movie, Chucky, yeah, like updated Chucky, Chucky movie. Uh, very uh, strong show. I mean, there's a lot of people what's that showed with up. The, uh, what's with the three instead of the e? Is that is it so like Megan three point oh or something? Yeah, it's, it's like, like the, the, mo- the new like, version of the doll. It's like they repurpose. It's like a I forget the model something M version three G generate right. some stupid thing, but they just go with Megan. Who's the actress? It looks like it looks Brian like Williams the actress. Kid. Yeah, it's right, right. Uh, Allison yeah. Williams. Let's go with that. From Girls, yeah. From Girls, yes. Uh, so the movie is is ridiculous, but it's actually kind of entertaining enough. I mean, like I said, the uh, the the audience. This was a packed theater, uh, skewed very young. Like, did they see something on TikTok young? Like, because it was the 
It was just giggling throughout. Well, There's a, a few scenes. It's a movie about a toy, Abe. When, right. uh, what do you expect? But, they market it directly to children. It's like flavored cigarettes. <laughs> Maybe. But uh, it, it, just, it was just a weird contrast to the other movie I saw, which was uh, A Man Called Otto. This was like 60 and over and, and me. Like it was a very right. old group in the Tom Hanks, A Man Called Otto movie compared to Megan, this other movie. So Anyways. A Man... A man Sorry, uh, go ahead on Megan first. So and I'll Megan, ask my question so about the the story one. is ridiculous, right? So just real quick, uh, it's not really worth watching, but if it's on HBO Max, uh, you know, take a look. The story is basically this: uh, Allison Williams, she's like an engineering type. She's the one concocting these uh, robots for different purposes, right? Uh, she's got a sister, she's got a brother-in-law, and she's got a, a a niece, right? The movie opens with that family, you know, the uh, the brother-in-law the sister and the kid driving in very hazardous icy conditions you know how it's going to go these ki- they're going to die right so you're going to have a dead kid yeah the 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 spouse is uh criticizing the husband for making poor choices he didn't like do the right, take the right precautions like and it's like yeah he knows like he, he fucked up no need to bring it up now so they're doing this bickering nobody and- <laughs> nobody likes a nag lady come on <laughs> like basically like pointing to obvious things like obvious failures anyways a they get in a head head on collision somehow the kid survives everybody else dies and this uh childless aunt now it has assumed custody of the child but she has no like she's probably like me like no real parental or guidance skills like how right. do, what the hell do i tell the kid eat whatever right. watch whatever because the kid is like <laughs> looking for guidance it was like, like so uh <laughs> i eat a lot of sweet potatoes is that gonna work <laughs> yeah basically the kid is asking for like some sort of uh structure like oh how many uh, what's my screen time you know whatever like the kid she's like yeah whatever just leave me alone watch it right. so she this is this whole contrived backstory is so that Oh, I know. I'll create a robot nanny to offload those pesky responsibilities. I don't want to have to deal with a kid. And she does it hastily, right? So she writes code to where, like, it'll bind with the first human and protect them and interact with them and blah, blah, blah. She she very hastily creates artificial intelligence, (laughs) which gives rise to a malevolent evil force inside the doll. Right. Well, the the problem is the doll, there there were no parameters. She just dashes off that code, right? The problem is that in her haste, uh, did not set any parameter for how far the robot is willing to go to protect the uh, human. And so... Naturally, any slight a classic, a classic of the genre in terms of uh, sci-fi tropes. Yes. Right. So, 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 some kid is bullying her. He, you know, the robot kills the kid. You know, like just no matter what. And eventually, right. they get rid of the doll and happily ever after. But basically, that was the movie. Uh, the kids liked it. It was, you know, not that good. Uh, a man called. I will say this is. By the way, before we move yeah. on, so this is a great example. You take such joy in recounting this movie that was bad, right? So this is how we get from every week we get to this part of the show and you go you give a review that's somewhere between uh that movie fucking sucked to uh yeah, you don't have to watch it. It's pretty dumb. Like that's that's the highest praise yeah. is that movie was pretty dumb, but if it's on you could watch it. Uh, but there's so much joy yeah. that you have in communicating that and in the experience of it that we get to the end of the year and you're like, 
yeah, all those movies suck, but movies are awesome. I know. Like, what are you talking about? Every time I go to the theater, about? it's like, this is great. <laughs> right. This is neat. Yeah. Like, even. All right, Man Called Auto, real quick, I want to ask a question before you tell me about it. Yeah. Which is, this is one of those that it looks like it could be an all time steamer piece of shit of a movie based on the trailer. But because I trust Tom Hanks to not deliver all time steamer pieces of shit, I'm like, this must be better. Then the trailer is suggesting that it's going you, to be. You would be, be uh, disappointed. All right. So th- this is why Which I kind of like going this? to the. A man called Otto. Yeah. It's like. It's the one. The previews this week are just like. Tom Hanks. Walking around as a grumpy old man yeah. harassing normal people. The only previews I've seen are for plane movie. So. Okay. So uh, the reason why I like going to the movies is because had I watched this by myself, my opinion would be this is. Um, hokey nonsense right right but everybody in the theater was eating it up just like it's just the <laughs> sappy it's like this tom hanks he's just fucking bitter he's no, actually tom trying hanks, to you said tom cruise tom no, no it's tom, tom hanks, hanks. sorry tom I, think, hanks. Yeah. I think you said tom cruise no yeah this know. is a tom hanks uh, vehicle but yeah that makes more he, sense that now i know the movie and, and this is I, I guess the older generation is totally you know this sort of it's a movie for boomers for sure right it's and not only that they're kind of catering to their i guess sensibilities because as a laugh line they had a, a whole scene with him attempting and failing at suicide like multiple attempts and then he Jesus. failed once like he he's like trying to hang himself but he he bought some shoddy whatever and it you know breaks the rope without killing him and then he looks to the ground because he put a bunch of newspapers around for whatever reason i guess the blood i don't know bad planning but he stumbles on on a a coupon you you die you fucking shit your pants and you piss your pants probably (laughs) the body does terrible things will the flimsy newspaper prevent anything it's just gonna seep through collect the anyways he looks down after failing dying right and he notices a two-for-one flower sale in Zagoon. And then the audience laughed. I was like, there's no way that – like, this seems like it would only work for this audience. Because other people are like, oh, we could have, like, a suicide hotline at the bottom or whatever. But, like, this right. guy kept on trying to kill himself many times. And it was just, like, taken for, oh, look at this guy. He can't do anything. That seems like a fun movie. Seems all right. It's very – it's like they're trying to – you know, like, oh, they go do the backstory. So, like, he wasn't always this shithead who wants to kill himself. He met some girl, and they fell in love, blah, blah, blah. They get right. pregnant – or she gets pregnant. Uh, and, and it- it's, funny that, it's funny that you say that a lot of your enjoyment from these movies is going out into the rabble and seeing the way that the rabble yes. reacts – to these movies, I go to the grocery store, and last night's a great example because I went to our the the normal good grocery store, the Wegmans, and then they didn't have what I wanted, so I had to stop at the other grocery store as well across the street, which is the Food Lion, and the Food Lion is a dump. It's a right? shitty. All yeah. Food Lions, yeah, most the, Food Lions uh, I've ever been in. Except that one at Pantops, that's not so bad. But. Or dumps. This one is a is in keeping with most Food yeah. Lions, which is that it's a fucking dump, and it's always funny to me the, the way that we sort ourselves collectively like the people who are inside that food lion are not the same crowd (laughs) as the people who are inside the wegmans and the prices they sell almost everything at wegmans that they sell at food lion for the same price so it's it's not so you can 
I, Largely. I could, if I wanted to pinch pennies and save dollars, there would be some items that I would only buy at Food Lion. And but there would not be some, many. Right. And there would be some items that I might only buy at Wegmans. And I would take two trips to the grocery store to maximize my savings. And probably the bulk of my shopping would end up, in order to save the 10 cents here and the 20 cents here, would end up being at Food Lion. So the poor people are not wrong to shop at right. Food Lion if that's the primary concern. But my primary concern is not having a negative experience yeah. at the grocery store. And with the rabble that's at the Food Lion, like they're literally, there's a guy in front of me who's going off on a long angry diatribe about the man basically who's secretly accumulating all of the dollars uh nickel by nickel because of the new uh bag tax that just went into effect in 2023 and then he he manages to leapfrog from that to like uh what was it it was uh, did you know that they get a tax write-off down at Goodwill for all the stuff that you bring in? That's just a scam, too. They're just making hand over fist there. It's like, <laughs> Goodwill. Oh, man, in. I'm just trying to buy the fucking scoop Fritos <laughs> so that I can stick them in my chili, man. Get the fuck out of the way. Stop hogging the cashier. Uh, but, like, holy shit, do I not want to be out among the rabble when it comes to most things. Like, yeah, okay, maybe the movie theater is it. You say that it's the rabble, yes. but it's still a movie theater-going crowd, which is a certain... Well, yeah. it's also inherently not social in its own way. Right. Yeah. Like, you're just sitting there watching a movie. Yeah. We watched... Uh, we can move on here yeah. real quick. We're running along tonight. Glass yeah. Onion, uh, the, the Knives Out sequel. Oh, we watched yeah. that on Netflix over the weekend. I I think Lori enjoyed it. Uh, we didn't really talk about it uh, amongst ourselves. It. Someone uh, made a movie for me. It didn't suck. It didn't suck. It was fine. It is. It was not nearly as... No Knives Out. Uh, purely right. wonderful an experience as Knives Out was. It's fun, was, though. It's fine. Yeah. It was an acceptable sequel, but it was not... I loved the first Knives Out. Was I, so I good. thought Knives Out was awesome. I was transported and taken to new places, and they're just way better characters and a way better idea. And the way they did it was the, better. I I preferred that cast for, from each actor to each actor. I thought was, and obviously I'm going to be biased in favor of the movie that features two hours of Ana de Armas. Uh, <laughs> No, but That's I liked I liked problem. Knives Out more, but this one was fun. Yeah, this was this fun. One was, yeah. It was we also fine. watched Lightyear. Yeah, we watched Lightyear also. That wasn't very good. It's fine. Uh, uh, real quick on Knives Out, though, uh, Glass Onion. Ed Norton is a good actor who is always best when he's playing someone who's not being authentically themselves, right? Okay. Like, mm -hmm. this is this is something that he does. I'm not sure that he's a believable everyman in any fucking movie. He needs to be someone who is either performing or is an in, entirely... Un, like, the, the, the way that he acts is almost always a performance of a performance. Right. And it goes back to... in His first movie is Primal Fear, yes. which he got yeah. a... He got a, a Academy nomination for as a supporting actor, and that's a performance of a performance. I don't want to spoil a movie from 1996 or anything, but it turns out that the Tourette's that he's been putting on for the entire movie that's a is show. not actual Tourette's. Right. It's a show. It's a it's a whole thing, and it's not a like the 
the worst thing about that movie is the Richard Gearness of it. Like it's a very Richard Gear in the nineties. I want to go watch movie. it right now. I love that movie. All the way down to the bad saxophone soundtrack. Stop. That, it's fine. <laughs> the, 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 I can still. It's I've only gr- seen that movie maybe twice in my oh, entire I've life. I've seen it so many. I used to watch it all. It's one of the DVDs that I can that still I had. hear the bad saxophone <laughs> oh, so soundtrack good. to it. And I don't think that like I. Weirdly, I don't think that Ed Norton is particularly good in that movie, and and but but for what it's worth, it, it's the first time that he's in the wider public consciousness, and it, it's him doing a performance of a performance. Yeah. And in, in Knives Out and in, in Glass Onion, again, it's him doing a performance. In American of American History X, though, he's just a good actor. So I agree, he's good, but that character is him doing a Nazi thing. And the only time that he reveals the quote-unquote true self of that guy is when he breaks down laughing in the laundry scene in that movie, where he has a moment of being authentically yeah, but himself. but then at the, the whole I've second half bought, of the movie... I've never bought that performance. Like, that's what's funny. Mm-hmm. is like, I buy the Nazi. He's, he's tremendous. The whole second yeah. half of the movie, he's, he's a right. reformed Nazi. I agree with you. And what I'm saying is that my problem with American History X has always been that I buy the performance of the performance of the Nazi. He's fantastic so and terrifying. And like somehow this like slight small person is is, is he worked bu- out constantly. Right, right. Yeah. But it's not just that. He's still a even as a fucking hulking maniac, he's still like uh, uh, in stature, he's fucking Stetson Bennett. He's right. just kind of a small dude. Right. But he transforms himself psychically and it's it becomes a physical transformation as well. And I uh, that I don't I don't particularly buy the authentic under the skin guy that he becomes in that movie, starting with the scene in the laundry with his black buddy. And and Fight Club is a performance of a performance. Right. Again, that's probably his best role. It's him, like, he's always at a remove. And it's a very weird thing for an actor to be particularly good at in this one way. And I don't think that I've really ever seen him perform well in a movie where he's just doing a guy even even the spike lee movie which is a very hyper real movie 25th hour Uh, or what was that the 25th hour which i think he's actually very good in again there's this weird remove that's happening where he's playing a character who's putting on a front like it's it's what he does like people write i don't know if he just picks those roles out because he knows he's it's what he's good at or if he's somehow been typecast in this very specific way but like when and, and when he's not good it's in like a movie like The Incredible Hulk. Like that movie fucking sucked. That was yeah, a. Yeah, that's why. He, he didn't. Oh, well, yeah, sure. It's I mean, not, he, maybe he's it's putting not on a show. To, he's like becoming this goofy, crazy guy. Right, but it wasn't even him. That was right. a computer generated yeah. version of yeah, him. That's, and, that's the, so and the Bruce Banner part didn't really work either. But anyway, it's a, it's a weird digression, maybe, on Ed Norton Jr. But. Uh, junior? He's a junior, isn't is he? Is he? Wow, well, used to me. But I've never thought of him that way. He is the uh, strangest actor to hear. He's very particular about script, and he wants control. And he's like a control freak, and his product is like it's. He's fine, but it's like he's I, a junior. It's not like Daniel Day Lewis or something. Like, but you always hear about how difficult he can be uh, to work with because he's like it's got to be just right. 
Yeah, and he's also one of these, if you've ever heard him on, like, uh, if you've ever heard him on, like, Fresh Air, he's one of these guys, he's like, oh, uh, New York means a lot to me, and, like, uh, acting is very, like, he's almost, he's almost got, like, a Daniel Day-Lewis quality to him about, like, where he takes the craft very, very seriously and, like, gets offended when people don't take it seriously. Like one of the Logan Roy's, like the actor, isn't he, like, some... Schmuck? Right, along those lines, <laughs> the, 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 the brother from, from Succession. Yeah. He thinks that acting matters and they, it's good people should do things that they think matter and, yeah it should be important you know. to you but it's like, such a weird job it's a weird thing to be good at yeah and that's that's the thing is i'm not sure that he's like i i've loved him in a number of movies i don't think of him as like one of his generation's uh, best actors or anything along those lines right. uh, but yeah glass onion was fine it was not knives out uh not that it necessarily had to be one thing that i wanted to mention about it and i apologize for going so long tonight but at the end of that movie they uh spoilers uh but it's not a spoiler because if you know anything about the way movies work is when they mention the mona lisa and then they show you the mona lisa behind glass in this big glass building they're going to destroy right the Mona Lisa. And that's what they end up doing at the very end of the movie. I saw this, and this was not mentioned. I, I only read a couple of reviews about this movie, but I didn't see this mentioned. What Ryan Johnson does, Ryan Johnson, the guy who uh, wrote and directed this movie and did the, the first one, and he also has done a number of other very good movies that I liked. Uh, Looper. You should split this into two episodes is what you should do. a long episode. You should say right. goodbye twice. You should just split it in two, the Georgia part and then this part. Yeah, it's double the content yeah. for all the listeners. No, you out should there. just split it into two episodes. Uh, You're welcome. Looper, uh, one of my favorite. It's one of the good Bruce Willis movies. Uh, there's there's two different categories of Bruce Willis movie. There's the good ones and the bad ones. It's a good one. Plus, it's got time travel in it, so it's absolutely worth watching if you like that sort of thing. Uh, he also did uh, episode eight of the the Star Wars trilogy, the second the, or the third trilogy, The Last Jedi. Uh, was episode eight and he took a lot of shit for the last jedi uh deservedly so i think because uh large parts of it are fucking pure garbage but uh part of the ethos of that movie is that we should move on from the past right and that like sort of the whole thing is like look the heroes of generations before us are are great for what they were, but they cannot define us. Right. We must define us for ourselves, and we need to move on from the so-called heroes of the past if we're going to define ourselves as anything. If we're going to truly be heroes, we need to move on from the past. I disagree in the context of Star Wars, you asshole. Like, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo are the fucking heroes, you piece of shit. What does the matter with you? Who cares about fucking Kylo Ren and Rey? Nobody. Get the fuck out of here. But that's something that he he takes extremely seriously, I think, when it comes to the Star Wars universe. And I think he might actually think it about everything. Because he takes the Mona Lisa and he burns it as retribution for the murder of this one lady, basically, right? right? Yeah. Like, and to me, that's psychotic. Like, that's, <laughs> that is no way to... Now, granted, like, is, is one... Uh, maybe it's an interesting conversation. Is a work of art more valuable than a single human life? Arguably, uh, who knows? Uh, and and if you have the Mona Lisa burning 
in a lava pit over here and a human being burning in a lava pit over here. Mm. I I think you you have to save the person. You got to save the person. I don't know. Abe definitely wants to save the person, yeah. no doubt about come it. Come on, these robots uh, are taking over. They'll come up with a new art in I no time. I have real problems when like muse like when Notre Dame was on fire, when museum yeah. when artifacts get fucked up. Yeah, it I, feels bad. I really don't like it. Yeah, but that I think person's gonna die. A trolley, that person's going to a die. A trolley problem, where on the one hand the Mona Lisa gets run over and uh, five people die. On the other hand, you save the lives. The, I mean, yeah, it feels bad, but whatever. But anyway, there's no there's no uh, uh, choice here. Like, there's not one or the other here. Yeah, I don't have to choose. He's just destroying the Mona Lisa. I think because he legitimately thinks that like it is. It is a good to destroy. Well, he didn't really do it. I know. He didn't really do it. But I think he gets off on this idea. He has this thesis that it's important that we destroy the things that came before us because we we let them over-define us and that we must define ourselves for ourselves. And I think that's that's one of his themes that runs through his works. Uh, And it was interesting to see it deployed here uh, in this fashion. Are you you, you, reading... I know that you read a lot of uh, nonfiction. Are you, have you made any commitments to uh, to reading more in the new year, Abe, or, uh, or getting back in any sort of habits? The habit that I'm going to get back into is running this year, and so I need to pair that with with listening to stuff. So I'm going to up my audiobook consumption, but I'm probably going nice. to keep my reading this. Basically, I'm going to keep keep it separate, like have a track of just reading books on my Kindle or like a hard copy. Uh, or audiobooks. And I'm looking for audiobooks where it's like the the person who's involved is doing it or like, I don't know. I'm going to try to find something where it's not like very dense books that I'm listening to. I want it to On be... On that front, if, you, if you're looking for something to read or listen to, uh, I just listened to Amusing Ourselves to Death by uh, Neil Postman. Okay. I've read essays of his before. I was not unfamiliar with the concept. This is uh, written in 1985. I don't think I've ever read the whole book before, but I've definitely read excerpts from it because it's a fairly well-known work of cultural criticism and media criticism. I think that you're going to take... What's it about? It's about how fucking media sucks and how 1985 media, right? Like he's talking about media from the olden days or is it a recent book visual media he he basically is complaining about the transition from a text-based culture to a uh visual-based culture and that uh television is at the root of all of our problems and of course this is written in the mid-1980s and so he's using examples like the rise of uh ronald reagan and the and the rise of television news what's bad about it it's all bad uh and i don't want to get into the specifics uh what's and it's a very short listen. I think it's barely five hours. It might be four, four and a half hours or something like that. Uh, and it's available on Audible. If you are an Audible subscriber, it's free or you can just purchase it. Or I'm sure it's available at, at libraries everywhere because it's a very uh, important... After reading it, Bob suggested we cancel YouTube TV when the football was over. To oh. be fair, I, can- I suggest canceling YouTube TV at the end of every football season. Your point being that like, I should be ab- able to entertain myself with my own thoughts. The point being that we don't watch hardly any television from the end of football season. I just sent a picture to our group chat of Bob not being able to be unentertained for a few minutes while we <laughs> deboard a plane. Do you know what that Tell picture- me why I need 
to cancel YouTube TV. What's happening in that picture? I'm reading a fucking book. You're being entertained. I'm reading a book, and it's a very different experience than passively taking in television. And I reject that they are the same thing. And I recommend that people are they not both entertainment? Read or listen to amusing ourselves. Are to you death. not entertained? No, one of them. Is an interaction, and it's a it, and it's a it's a relationship that I have with the story and with the author. The other one is just sitting there and watching fucking television, and I'm not wrong about this. Anyway, I bring up Neil Postman, Abe, because I think that you will be very annoyed Ooh. by amusing ourselves to death in in for me anyway, very predictable ways. Uh, but I also think that you will you will agree with in the way that you agree with someone's thesis, but someone being me, yeah. But you don't really want to hand it to them. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, but you're, but that's <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. But who fucking cares? Yeah. Uh, you, what, what are you gonna do with that, you asshole? It's like, yeah, you're right. But who fucking cares? That's that will be your reaction, I think, to reading or listening to Neil Postman. But I also think it's incredible when you consider that he wrote this in the in the early and mid 1980s because of the way that it speaks to our culture now and it and it, and it has redefined for me in an important way the way that uh the web can be such an incredibly television-esque experience that our experience of so much of media is and the way that Instagram and YouTube and and TikTok is replacing television, and it's not like it's it's not a new game. It's just an evolution on a theme. It's just a, it's just the the next version of television, and the culture is not changing nearly as much as we think it is, even as it changes in such profound ways before our eyes. The changes are 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 programmatic. There 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 are things that have been done before, and we're just sort of riffing on them. Right. And 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 this is it. It was amazing to read this or listen to this book that was written in 1980 or in the 1980s, and have it speak directly to my experience of the world now, and not in terms of the things that he's actually talking about. So I, I highly recommend. All right, it. I'll definitely listen to that. Uh, also available. Uh, and it's funny that you said you're going to stick to uh, or want to listen to more audiobooks. The Trump tapes, Bob Woodward has put out uh, 10 hours oh, no. of his 20, they're un largely unedited 20 hours worth of interviews with Trump uh, that he did with uh, minimal sort of jumping in and, and clarifying things and editorial comment. It's largely just him and Bob Costa or, or just him and, Trump himself uh, sitting around shooting the shit, uh, the interviews for his books. Uh, and it's not that Trump needs to reveal himself to us any more than he already has, but like to get the unfiltered fucking Trump just right into your ears, yeah. it, 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 it is a completely new revelation all over again of what a completely self-absorbed uh, sociopathic narcissist this piece of shit was and we made him the goddamn president for four years and it's incredible can't wait to listen to that yeah anyway I'm also I've also read like three Stephen King books I've been on a reading oh, kick lately I'm, I'm trying to, uh, uh, three new Stephen King books new to me anyway uh, previously unread uh, Stephen King stuff I've got a bunch of PKD on deck um, uh, I'm excited to ingest less stuff by accident and and be more 
uh, methodical and intentional with the things that I'm I'm taking in, okay. and have them be things that I actually like. I want to, even if I'm listening to it on my fucking phone, I want to reach for my phone and fill up a Google Keep note that I'll completely forget about, and I won't go anywhere with it in the long run, probably. But it's something that I'm actually having a reaction to and having an in, an intellectual stimulation to, rather than just sitting there watching the fucking TV. And that's the goddamn difference. Well, I go chit chat with people about vacations and plumbing all day That's yeah good. i'm also yeah, i monetize it eventually yeah i'm gonna turn it into there's gold in them them our hills glad you're enjoying your stephen king books there's there's gold in those hills laurie <laughs> don't worry abe you uh, got anything else for us tonight nope Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We will talk to you next time. Later. Obviously, don't podcast enough. If I'm going fucking nearly no, three hours, no, you should have made that two episodes. How does that even work? Even what do you mean? Is, how does that work? You used to do it all the time. The magic of editing or something. I don't know. <laughs> Stetson Bennett, I mean, I'm trying to think of a different way to ask the question, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, so, so hear me out here. You probably won't, because of who he is and what he did, you probably won't have a guy like him ever again, because it's only going to be five-star guys that play this position. So, and yet he's a legend forever, and I know you, you describe what he means to you, and so when you push back on who he's been and what these years have been together... How do you explain what that means and what he represents? I can't put it into words, Scott. I mean, th this young man sat in my office with his mom and told me he was leaving because he knew he could play here and he had to go prove it. He left and went to a junior college in Mississippi and won a championship there and then turned around and we had to give him another chance here and we kept telling him he was a three. And the guy kept saying, no, I'm not. I'm good enough to start. I'm good enough to play. And he did just that. And uh, he's the greatest dog of all time, in my opinion. Wow. I mean, there have been some legends, but it's hard to top back-to-back, -to -back, man. Kirby, uh, go enjoy it. I appreciate you. You know that. And I look forward to seeing you somewhere down the road, okay? Scott, I just want to give a shout-out to my dad's at home. He was sick and didn't get to make it to the game. So, Pops, I love you. I appreciate you and Mom staying back. And uh, go dogs. see Pollock sitting oh. next to Nick Saban say Georgia runs this yeah, sport yeah, now yeah, they were or whatever it was the, the quote yeah. is yeah. Saban's going to kick our asses next yeah. year I, it, is, it is guaranteed there's no way that if we're both undefeated going into the SEC that they don't fucking destroy yeah. us there's no way anyway all right. good, night. good night and uh, go dogs.